This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you. We got a, we got, well, not a full house, but like a crowded house, I would say. We got Kyle Nash in the house. We got Bryson Turner here. Uh, gentlemen, it is our first show where we actually get to talk about a UCF sporting event which has happened prior to our recording of the show. And it happened earlier tonight. We're recording this Thursday, August the 18th. You, all UCF sports, by the way, g- gentlemen, mark down. UCF sports are undefeated on the 2022-2023 athletic season. UCF women's soccer starting things off tonight with a 3-0 victory over the Florida Gators. We'll talk about that. We are going to, uh, in our second segment, we're previewing UCF volleyball with head coach Todd Dagenet, uh, who is in the house with us. Uh, to talk about his team as they go for their fifth consecutive American Athletic Conference championship. We've also got a grab bag of stuff to talk about. we got uh, naming rights for the arena. Just got re-upped with addition financial for 10 years. That's big. Uh, we have uh, – uh, what else do we have, Bryson? We have um, – Stadium wide. Oh, yes. You wanted to talk about the booze. That's, That's why right, Kyle's Bryson. on this show. Um, no, I want to talk about the arena. That's just no, the other another thing. No, that Bryson. No, Bryson wants to talk about the booze. That's what he wants to talk about. Yay, and then, yeah, yeah, and uh, and a couple other things that we want to talk about too uh, as we move into the weekend. Possibly some more recruiting transfer portal news for UCF. Maybe, sort of. Maybe we don't know. Maybe we'll find out as we're recording the show. I don't know. Let's see. All right, let's uh, let's dive in. First of all, we are leading. With UCF women's soccer uh, going hunting for some gator tonight and bringing home the gator tail, uh, three nothing victory for UCF uh, over the Gators. Who, by the way, do you guys see from our preview that we dropped this week, Bryson and me? The Florida Gators are actually picked last by the coaches in the SEC in women's soccer. Do you guys see that? I, I can't even believe Yeah, I mean, the, the the program's been a little, uh, it's dropped uh, dropped off a cliff for the last few years. The previous, but, I like, was actually what was the, what the, was the last? What was the last UF team to be picked last in the SEC in something? Women's basketball a few years back, but yeah, I, it's not many. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not a lot, I'll tell you that. Especially um, soccer, that's stunning. But Yeah, but, uh, but I, I will say... Um, they held it with UCF for the first, uh, 45 minutes, but then in the second half, UCF busted open, uh, starting with, uh, Kristen Scott, who got the first goal of the year in spectacular fashion, uh, a little bit later on, uh, and that was in, uh, the 54th minute, uh, Deanna Martin added one and, uh, Mallory Olson added one, so, uh, off and run for UCF women's soccer. They are uh, the, they get the three nothing victory, and uh, and we were talking about it. We were all chatting as we we're watching the game, right? Because like first event of the year, we're all locked in, and the first thing that I noticed, and Eric, I know you noticed, and Bryson, I know you noticed, and Kyle, I'm pretty sure you noticed too, was the what Coach Tiff talked about us talked about with us last week about how she wanted the back line to step it up and she just needed more offensive production. Well, she got both of those things 
tonight. Uh, I thought that the the combination that we saw of uh, Chris, uh, of uh, Kristen Scott and uh, and uh, uh, and uh, uh, sorry, Martin scored the yeah, goal. Martin, Mallory Martin Olsen scored the yeah, third. Yeah, Mar- yeah. yeah scoring. Malin scoring. And Mia, uh, Mia Seno as well yeah. on that front. I, even though Mia Seno did not tally anything, you could tell that she and Scott were key to putting pressure on Florida's back line early and often and softening them up. And then they finally broke through in that second half, Eric. And I thought that that was, that was the, that's, that was the key. And that's going to be the key for UCF going forward at this point. Yeah. I think it was a very blueprint Tiffany Robertson style win. I mean, we, she was on last week, talked about having depth and experience. You know, I think the last few years, he's kind of acknowledged that, you know, we've had maybe one, but not both. Um, And I think you saw them wear down Florida. Uh, in the second half in particular mm-hmm. with the three goals there, you balance scoring. And I think the other big thing was defensively, they re- Florida, I think they had like one really good chance in the match. And really outside of that, they were pretty, UCF kind of shut them down. And that's really when you see UCF in, a, in the Sahedek era at their best is defensively. And I thought that was yeah. good because at times, you know, Bryson and I, we would talk about it last year at times, they would give up a ton of chances and Caroline Delisle, Delisle had to bail them out and we didn't have to call Caroline. We didn't see much of Caroline Delisle no. this, uh, in this game. That's a good thing. Yeah, um, she had four saves on the day. Yeah. So. Uh, that's a very manageable. And so I thought it was a very appropriate, considering it's Coach Sahadak's 100th win at UCF. It's a good start to always get that first win. You beat Florida. That's always good because obviously it's going to get str- tougher from here. But, yeah, you see some of the promise that this team has the uh, potential for. Bryson, I thought one of the one of the interesting numbers having to do that. We talked about the back line, right? Corners. UF had six of them. UCF managed to get only one corner in the match, but still, Florida managed only nine shots, no goals off that. So that tells me that, like Coach Tiff was talking about, that back line was working tonight. Oh, it definitely was. And what's actually amazing is Coach Tiff told me that Ariel Young actually sprained her ankle and did not, at, right before the game, and so she ended up not playing. So um, you'll hear it a little later when I talk to her after the game and Georgia Eaton Collins mentioned it as well. But um, but I, this is why I love the fact that she has debt, because if this were last season, that would have been very bad because Ariel <laughs> yeah. Young was a, a, one of the good spots about it, good, good players in the defense, the back line. But the problem was, is that they didn't have is they didn't have depth back then to back it up, which is why Caroline Delisle just kept getting peppered with shots and bless her heart. She had to take so many, but she can't block all of them. So mm-hmm. this time around, they actually gave her help, which was great. I actually saw Carolina, uh, uh, Caroline after the game. And, and I, uh, and I asked and I, and I just, and I was like, Hey, I mean, pressure's gotta be off a little bit. So it was, it was fun. And um, look, and so, but I, both goalies goalies had four saves. What I think what I saw was very interesting, though, is that the shots on goal, like the shot differential, UCF had 12 shots, Florida had nine. The back line is definitely one issue that I had with the team last year. But the other part was how they just couldn't get the shoot the ball at the goal enough. Kristen Scott can only do so much. Like this team was unfairly last year was fair unfairly put on the shoulders of Caroline Delisle and Kristen Scott. Now these two actually have backup. 
And mm-hmm. so we we have so of course um Caroline has a now a very much refreshed backline, and then Kristen Scott has Mia Asenho. And man, how aggressive she was early and often. Like they ha- they managed to get two shots on goal in like the first five minutes. And yeah. it's like this is a completely different offense. Yeah, they were they were off and running. They were off and, and running from that. And by point. the Let's way, go- Mia should ahead. have gotten an assist on that first goal. Be- on that first goal, because she manages angle it just right in order to get it to Polly Watson, who, true freshman by the way, who got the assist on that first goal by Kristen Scott. Just absolute, absolutely well done right there. Yeah, Mallory Olson and Diana Martin came off the bench to score those other two goals. Let's go ahead and hear from. Uh, Coach Tiffany Roberts Sahadak after the match, as well as uh, Kristen Scott uh, and Georgia Eaton Collins, who, by the way, played her first game for UCF, played all 90 minutes on the back line in her first game for UCF against her old team, the Florida Gators. The team had a lot of spirit, and I think the spirit grew as the game went on. You know, we were a little shaky, I think, to be expected in the very first match of your season. Um, But I'm so proud of them because they stuck to the game plan and their spirit grew, and as far as the 100 wins go, Tim and I just feel so thankful and uh, proud because those wins belong to all of the players that have played for us here at UCF, you know, so um, we're just, we're very thankful to have been in this position. The nice thing about this group is that it's really not that different from last year. We have a lot of additions, um, but we really didn't lose a ton of seniors last year, so um, it's just like... The, the vibes are building, you know, like the talent's building. Like it doesn't feel like um, that new, you know, it's home, it's my team, and um, we're all just really coming together, and we've progressed a lot through the spring and this preseason, so I'm just excited where the season's going to take this team. It's really important. You have to set the tone for the rest of the season. We have really big aspirations for this team. Um, the two exhibition games are good, but they don't really mean anything when it comes to the NCAA tournament, which we obviously want to get to this season. So to win the first game of regular season is really important for us. All right, so that was head coach Tiffany Roberts-Sahadak, followed by Kristen Scott and then Georgia Eaton-Collins talking after the game. Bryson, props to you for getting that sound after. A little bit of of weather issues today, but surprise, surprise, August in Florida, and we're having weather issues early on, but we were able to get the game in. Kyle, you had a question that you wanted to ask. Yeah, I did. So, you know, considering that this is yet another piece in in UCF versus UF lore here now that's happening. I mean, listen, I'm going back to the Gus Barilla. Now, then we had women's basketball where they battled UF and that's a win. Now that the Olympic sports are kind of getting in on to on it, too, and you guys could probably come up with more examples possibly than I even have. The more times UCF faces and triumphs Florida, do you think this bodes well for the future of that interstate rivalry with a P5 team, or I should say current P5 team, you know, as long as the P5 exists, right? Um, that UCF is looking for evolving into the Big 12. Uh, I think that they have their sights firmly set on that school to the north as their uh, next target to conquer. Try uh, considering that, you know, now UCF's going to be in the Power Five. So who you got? You got Florida State, Florida, Miami. Uh, for some reason, Florida State has not materialized in the way that uh, I think some of us have hoped. Miami continues to duck UCF for some reason. I'm not really sure why. Um, it, it seems as though UCF and Florida have kind of danced around each other. Remember the whole thing with the uh, 
the uh, with the kickoff classic game when Danny White was here that kind of got between him and and the athletic director of Florida. And then on um, top of the, the Peach Bowl ducking conspiracy theories that are out there. Yeah, which is the stuff that great rivalries are made of, right? Like tinfoil hat stuff. Um, tinfoil hat stuff that turned out to be right in regards to USF. But I don't know if it's exactly right with UF yet. But I think that I, I think that Terry Mohajer, to his credit, I think if you read between the lines of what he was talking about with football scheduling, has his sights firmly set on... Florida being UCF's prime rival, I guess you could say. Well, it depends on the sport going forward. It depends on the sport. Uh, I think. Well, that's, yeah, of course. Um, but... Because they're not going to play Florida in every sport. Like you, that they're just not. I don't think. I don't think UCF Florida is going to play in football beyond what's under contract. And I actually am a little skeptical whether those games even get played, considering where we're headed with expand realignment and everything. But right, that's fair. I think I would say that, but Jeff's right. Though, I agree in that I think you're targeting the Florida, the Florida yeah. States, the Miamis. I think Miami's actually in football is your natural rival. That's the one. Well, uh, I'm talking about I'm talking about transcendent of sport, right? Because the sure, idea, yeah, what the fans are looking for is trying to find the next iteration of horns down. You know, no, granted, you know. Well, but- I, I will say this: you're right about this. Florida, UCF draws in every sport. It just does. Okay. I could take take it from experience. It draws viewership. I think from and a women's, <laughs> from an uh, yes, absolutely. I think it for as far as to transcend the like. First of all, and we had Coach Sahedic on last week, and she told us in the scoop they're going to continue to play South Florida in women's soccer. And I think in women's soccer that rivalry will continue. I still think that's your number one rival in women's soccer moving forward. Because yes, you're not in the same conference. But there's a very good chance you're going to see each other in the NCAA tournament, and that's actually higher stakes than conference. And I think in some of these sports, like women's soccer and softball, where the two sports are really good, that's the rival. Then there's other sports where I think you could argue about different uh, elements uh, of who the rival is. But yeah. you know, I, mean, I would throw in women's basketball as a possibility to extend it with South Florida. Yeah, correct. Too far down. Yeah. Sure, yeah. sure. No, I agree. Yeah, but you know. I, 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 I would I say you know Kyle you brought up the good point which is aside from the on field stuff it's, there's a cultural aspect to it yes and the cultural aspect from UCF's perspective I think is our UCF's mo is always punching up right all right and you know we're not punching up or across at South Florida anymore correct you know as much as as much as I like to defend the war on I four. <laughs> uh it, it's that that becomes punching down now which by the way i find tremendously satisfying also but anyway but i also um, I, I, I think by the way but, I will but be, ucf yeah. ucf needs a target to punch up at and florida is the target now so I also uh, yeah i agree with that but i'm also going to add this real quick kyle mm-hmm. and he's not here but he made this point drew made this point when we did a night shift we're doing this again we're gonna throw drew under the bus no i'm complimenting drew <laughs> kyle will be the one that will throw him under the bus that's his absolutely role absolutely right whenever eric brings him up off air he lifts him up and i knock him back down exactly but andrew made a good point i think the next step now for ucf going to the big 12 is it's not so much about the opponent but it's about ucf supporting you it's about watching ucf's product that's something that drew has mentioned that mm-hmm. you know ucf drew a big crowd against michigan but it was because it was michigan 
they got to get to the point now where you're going to draw UCF to watch UCF. And I think that's going to happen in the Big 12 because I'm sorry this, and I have friends in the American, but the majority of UCF fans don't care about the American. They don't. The numbers have proven that. Yeah, they want to win the conference title. But you brought it up, Kyle. You make a good point. They care more about the Florida win in Gasparilla than any win in the American last year. Would you agree with that? Oh, and then any win last year, other than possibly if it was the two-lane game, I get this mixed up. The other win they'll care about as much, maybe not more, but as much as is, is Boise? whatever win it was that secured them the, the first bowl game in uh bowl eligibility in the state. So right, but the point is the Florida game, the postseason. I think the postseason is what UCF fans care about. We're gonna get into that in the next segment even more, especially in the Olympic sports. Because let's be real, the Olympic sports are tuned in at various times of the year, at the start of a year, and usually towards the postseason. And especially with fall sports, it's hard to draw the attraction because of football, the gorilla that is football. So when you're soccer, you're volleyball, you, the people are going to tune in, have been tuning in to how you finish in the postseason in the NCAA tournament, or in women's soccer's case, can they get back to the NCAA tournament? I do think that thinking will change in all sports when you get to the Big 12 because – that's what you're shooting for. You're shooting for the top now. There, you've reached the what you wanted to reach, which was a major conference. And I expect viewership, uh, uh, li- listenership as far as UCF sporting events, uh, t- everything will bump up once you get into the Big 12. And I think this is really uh, kind of like, let's just get through this year for the fan base. Does, does sure. that, let me ask you this though, Eric, does that have a chance of diluting the, personalness of having an in-state rival i mean like here in florida you don't see a lot of like cincinnati license plates obviously you don't see a lot of houston you don't see texas tech license plates anywhere you don't go to you don't go to work and and talk crap to you know the guy who went to byu right because there are no guys who went to byu well not that many at least here in central florida so so does that change sort of diminished is there something in the experience that gets diminished because of i mean yeah i mean college athletics will be different i mean that's a realignment thing i mean that goes beyond uh you know that's a college realignment thing i think i mean look at yeah, I mean, other Oklahoma, rivalries have survived survived realignment let's be honest yeah but others haven't like oh i mean that's the thing oklahoma nebraska used to be the biggest rivalry in college football Nobody cares anyway, right? Like they don't play. Has, hold on, a lot of that has to do with the client of the program, Eric. Let's be clear too on that. Like, well, they don't play though. That's the, the to the point. They don't play. Um, not playing. Well, they they didn't play that much back in the day either because they were in different conferences. Who? Oklahoma and Nebraska. No, they were in the Big Eight. No. Yeah, in the eighties. Yeah, they were facing for Big Eight oh, wait, titles. I'm sorry. Yeah, wait, yeah, yeah. wait, wait. Oklahoma wasn't Oklahoma in the Southwest Conference? No, 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 no. You're thinking, oh, you're, uh, right, you're thinking, you're right, you're right, you're right. yeah, yeah, you're thinking SMU, though. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Look, I'm sorry. I think Carry the on. in-state, I think the good question is, though, yes, I think you could still play the in-state teams and be in the Big 12, especially in the Olympic sports. Uh, so I think UCF-USF rivalry is actually going to flourish in most of the sports, not all of them. Some of the sports. I, I think in the ones where it's a, where it's advantageous for UCF to play, because now yeah. I think they have the hammer. But like in football, USF hasn't been UCF's football rival in a while. It just hasn't. It's been a one-sided deal. Cincinnati's the rival now for UCF. That's the target, right? Well, and and to to ask the que- to answer the question of will it, uh, will a rivalry survive conferences? I mean, heck, 
not that it happens as much anymore, but Florida and FSU for a while had their regular scheduling. It was the second most important game to you, uh, to the U in Miami, right? You know, that, sure. that's something that happened yeah. and that happened in the state gentlemen. So we have a plenty, uh, how you say a plenty close simulation in history with all this stuff too. That's it, almost like a unicorn in how that game has managed to survive. Yeah, you and because it's still know, played in the it's still played Thanksgiving weekend, but it's a non-conference game. Right, I, man. Listen, if if it's if it's important enough, it'll happen. And listen, when you, it's more important in the South, it just matters more. And Florida is the state everybody's recruiting to. And heck, if you la- ask Orlando wins, they want a fourth Florida NFL team. It's not going to happen. Settle down. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, know. yeah, yeah. But um, you know, we still need, I, we still need a third NFL. Yeah, team I was gonna say, Cowers, who's the third? Never mind. No, we're moving on. Moving on. <laughs> on your uh, there, Elo. I'm just saying. That's that's more than that's fair to apply. That's fair to apply. It's fair to apply. I think this though, I will say this real quick, and this goes with women's soccer, all the Olympic sports. There is pressure this year from a couple aspects. This is your last year in the American. How is the program going into the Big 12? You want to feel good going into the Big 12. You want to have momentum, feeling yeah. pretty good about how things are going. And in women's soccer case, look, this is the historic women's soccer uh, program. This is the most historic women's sport on UCF's campus. It has the greatest athlete was ever women's soccer player was ever produced in the world. One of them, Michelle Akers, came from here at UCF, the tradition. So I think there's pressure on UCF to get back to the tournament. They've had this drought, quote, air quotes, because at UCF, other schools, five years is not a big deal, but at UCF, it's kind of a significant thing. Hey, you haven't been to the tournament in 17. So I think there's that pressure for women's soccer this year to deliver and see they could break through there and make the NCAA tournament going into the Big 12. And I think the good news for women's soccer, of all the sports – I actually think they will have the easiest transition from the American to the Big 12 because there's not as big of a gap from the American to the Big 12 in women's soccer like there is in other sports. I think that's true. I I think that's true. By the way, congratulations to – we should mention this. Congratulations to Tiffany Roberts-Hadak. The victory tonight was her 100th at UCF. Her win percentage is over 67% uh, as uh, as she begins her 10th season. Ten uh, seasons. Ten seasons already for Tiff. And remember this trivia here, Kyle. Yes. The first UCF team to win an American Conference Championship in 2013. You know who that was? I, I really don't. <laughs> women's <laughs> soccer. Let me take a wild guess. Yeah, women's <laughs> They edged out football by a week. Yeah. I think. If, if, yep. if I just said women's soccer out loud, I'm ruining the shtick, guys. See, this is called good radio. I can be the heel, regardless so, of how this big This isn't radio. Is. This is a podcast, Kyle. You got to get the radio thing out of your head. Yeah, but yeah. it's radio for the new kids. <laughs> Come on now. You got to get old age out of your head. Oh, wait. I'm not drooling. Well, yeah. no, I, I, I if this is uh, radio, you're going to be like, we have a break coming up. Shut up, you know. <laughs> but I, I, do, I do think that's an important from women's soccer. And I do think all the other Olympic sports, the bar has been raised with the success of softball now. I think there's even more casual people are like, well, can you do what softball did? Fair. Mm-hmm. And I think that, which is, I think, like, I think this is probably one of the more anticipated Olympic falls and springs that I can remember, Jeff. Like, when we started Banneret, I don't recall a lot of people like, hey, let's get ready for the soccer scene. You know, what do we got going, right? Like, I mean, it has grown. And I think ESPN Plus, the exposure has been a factor, but yeah. people now have expectations for these C- programs. Certainly, certainly since 13, when UCF got into the American and and the USF thing was real. You know, like, oh, now sure. we're going to really yeah, measure yeah. ourselves against them 
in all sports on an equal footing. I think this is the most, it's been nine years. And I think that's important to highlight throughout the year. Cause you know, people are like going to take jokes at the American, whatever, but the American was been very good to UCF. And I think you just highlighted one of the aspects of that. I think it's helped grow UCF's football and grown the other sports across the board over this decade. I think the American's been a big positive step for UCF. And I, oh, I, I, you know, and yeah. listen, even to you, Eric, who's the money guy, that was that was a better look for them fiscally when they moved to the American. All Absolutely. That. Yes. Let's yes. be clear about something. And I'm, I'm not saying UCF shouldn't leave, so nobody do that. But right. the, the American, as it's currently made up this year, if it were to continue to survive, I truly believe would challenge the ACC sooner than later if some of the lower-level teams could you know, I agree. Slip I agree. Too, right. If Tulane was on a train where they were imp- uh, 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 improving one year, one win per year with Willie Fritz as head coach up until the pandemic. And then, you know, uh, other teams have been perennially bad. But listen, the SEC has Vanderbilt. You're allowed one or two. You know, right. No, look, this is a business move. Uh, look, there's mixed. There's some things you'll miss. I mean, uh, women's soccer, UCF, I would argue UCF, Memphis has been UCF women's soccer's biggest rival going back to CUSA. They used, they've battled for conference championships a lot of years. 100%. They're probably not going to play anymore after this. I would say it's between them and South Florida because South Florida's stolen a few from under UCF. No, I think that's too. the more recent one. I think that's right there. Uh, Memphis, though, that goes back to the Cromwell years where Memphis was the bugaboo. Those yeah. were the two main rivals. You're going to lose one of them probably in Memphis. Uh, so you will lose some things uh, that we talked about earlier with some of the rivals in some of these sports. Uh, that's valid. But, you know, it's business, as you know, Kyle. Dollars and yeah. cents, bro. Hey, listen, uh, and while the American is clearly in UCF's rear view, um, and nobody accused me of being another Oresco burner account, but I am going to be curious to see what he does to keep this conference going. And who knows? Maybe he'll fake something just like he did with the American. Wow. Uh, Bryce. Bre- <laughs> Bre- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we talked about the American and teams that are under pressure. Maybe no other team is under as much pressure to win the American as the team that's won four American championships in a row and may very well be favored to win a fifth this year. That's UCF Volleyball. We will preview them. Head coach Todd Dagenet joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast on the other side of this break. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret podcast is back after this. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. And uh, real quick, Eric and Bryson, which UCF team has won the most consecutive American Athletic Conference championships right now? It wouldn't happen to be volleyball, would it? Oh, of course it would happen to be volleyball. Four in a row, and the Knights are going for one for the thumb this year. And they should. we haven't gotten the preseason poll yet, but but it should be coming out fairly soon and they'll be the favorites to do it again UCF Knights get ready to start their season on September the 2nd against Syracuse I'll be there for that and joining us now to preview his team is the winningest head coach in UCF volleyball history our old friend Todd Dagenet what's up Todd how are you doing well how's the gang doing out there we are we're ready to rock man we're uh, you know I was worried like when August hits, it's like, oh man, we got all this preview stuff. But now it's like we're in a flow. I know you guys are getting ready to in the, to hop into a flow too. So um, I wanted to start by asking you about, you know, last year. Um, you know, once again, another remarkable season. Like I said, your fourth straight 
conference championship. You guys have won 72 of your last 75 matches against American Athletic Conference opponents and came oh so close to hitting the second weekend uh, out of Pauley Pavilion um, against UCLA. And I guess we'll ask, I'll ask you from here, what, what, what were some of the things that you think your veterans, you got a lot of players coming back in your core. What are your returning veterans taking into this season from that experience last year where for heaven's sake, thank God we didn't have to go to Gainesville again, but you're playing against a team like UCLA. That was, you know, that, that was that good and coming that close to the second weekend. Right. You talked about the, the, non-conference season first of all we played murderers row of a non-conference season it was a top 10 schedule nationally to play penn state and georgia tech in the same day penn state obviously finishing as a, a a high top 25 school georgia tech going to the final four unexpectedly but good for them they got there and so we had a pretty major non-conference season where you know, I think we came out seven and five or eight and four or something like that, but we felt pretty good about ourselves. Get into conference and go on a roll right away. Um, and then losing, losing that tough five gamer to Houston at home. Um, I wouldn't say it woke us up because it didn't. We just, what it did do is it forced us to refocus just real quick. Hey, what are we doing? What do we do wrong? What did we, did we skip a step in preparation? And it just, we were just on cruise control after that. And I wouldn't, I thought it was really nice to see how the players in a very mature way took the whole season, one match, and just in a total business-like attitude heading into the NCAA tournament. You know, I remember, I remember after that Houston game and, and this is one of the quote, one of the quotes from the last 365 days that I think really stuck with me and I might not get it word for word, but I, I remember you saying that during that game, the team played to not lose and they ended and they ended up losing and instead of playing to win. Are you, is that something you really want to be able to uh, drive home to the players going into the season from the get go? We knew that was going to be the toughest non-conference match you know, we had to play him twice, but we knew that was going to be the non, the toughest non-conference match. And, you know, Jeff earlier alluded to the fact that we'll be the favorites to win. I don't think that's going to be the case. I still think it's going to be Houston. Um, and that's okay. Well, you know, whatever preseason polls say, I really don't care. Um, but heading into that match, um, I thought it wasn't a tightness. It was just kind of a, let's just sit back and wait and see what happens. And, you know, a couple of times we lit some fires under ourselves to get it to go to five. Um, but I think we learned right there that being passive or passivity is not going to be the way we play. I thought they took that match and it was about dominance. They wanted to go out and they wanted to dominate. Um, they didn't want to win. They wanted to win in three and they didn't want to win in three. They wanted to win 25 to zero. And that is really, you know, what took us into the NCAA tournament. And I think that's what surprised Pepperdine more than anything else is that it was a very confident team who has discovered that they can dominate if they want to. And, you know, as far as they go, it was, it was all about being dominant and it, it, it just really applying the pressure to your opponent. Yeah. You talk about, Oh, go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. Well, I, I'm curious as a coach, 18 to 22 year olds with the success you've had and they've had, 
and and they see social media they see people like jeff pumping them up how great they are patting them in the back i'm curious as a coach how much do you push them how do you determine to push them to keep them to get them better on an edge and how much do you depend on your leaders to do that i'm curious on the balancing act there to keep them hungry especially for the veterans to show the youngsters who might think oh this is a cakewalk which is not the case right no it's certainly not a cakewalk uh that's built in culture eric that is built over time it's taken you know a good 10 years of the 15 i've been here to do that and once you get the culture in place it really does become part of who they are as a student athlete so there's nothing that really i have to do to motivate them to want to be winners we recruit winners we recruit winners whose families expect them and push them to be winners. And so they're constantly surrounded by this message of excellence inside and outside the classroom. So it's the expectation. And not playing well is just not an option. If you look at every single match last year, there wasn't a single match we didn't play well, not one. And I've never had a season like that anywhere I've ever been. We just didn't have a bad match. Um, we've had matches that were up and down a little bit, but we never had a bad match where we were supposed to win and all of a sudden we lose 3-0. And uh, that's just a testament to the culture that they have amongst each other. The accountability they hold for each other is that there's an expectation that we're going to win. We're going to find a way to win somehow, some way. And that is passed down from generation to generation. And very rarely, if ever, do I need to come in and motivate somebody because of a coach needs to motivate a team to be good and win, you got bigger problems. And uh, it, it's, it's the team that motivates themselves. It's the upperclassmen that helps the underclassmen learn how to do that. But a team not going to get motivated by a coach. So, you know, I've, every time I see these rah-rah coaches, um, you know, clapping in every play, cheering from the sideline, trying to get their team hyped up, why not let the team hype themselves up? It, it just, uh, I think, Maybe that's my style. I, I let the team hype themselves up. I want them to celebrate. I want them to go crazy. You know, I don't mind if they yap a little bit under the net. That's, uh, that's their team. That's their game. I am there to facilitate their ability to win. I don't think anybody on the team exemplifies what you're talking about there more than your best player, McKenna Melville, who is heading into her fifth year, had a career high in Kills was number one in the country in total kills. She was up there among the national leaders for much of the season. Um, also led the nation in attacks, which I know is one of the things that um, concerns you because, you know, there's a balance, but there's always a balance between, you know, I have a player who's this good. She's 510 kills away from 2,500 for her career, which would put her top 10 all time in the NCAA history, regardless of era. Um, but I know, you know, we, you and I have talked before a lot about how, you know, there's a balance between, you know, I have this amazing weapon, you know, who's really good at what she does, but then also I don't want her arm to fall off by October. So how do you plan on using McKenna this year and how, and, and, and what are your expectations of her in this, what's, what's going to be her final season at UCF? You know, I don't have to put any expectations on her. I mean, McKenna is, in a lot of ways, we facilitate McKenna, but McKenna coaches herself harder than anybody else does. She is the toughest critic of her own ability and goals. 
and outcomes than anybody else. So I don't have to worry about her. Now, is there always that concern about using her too much? There is. That's something that we just, we always keep an eye on. We don't want her swinging any more than 10 times a set at the most. If she's going 10 times a set, that's 30 in a three set, 40 in a four set, 50 in a five set. That's a good number. Um, we got to keep it under that. Now, she did get up there sometimes in the 60s and 70s. Now it's based primarily on a matchup. You get your best player on the opponent's weakest blocker. It's like, how do you not set a player against the opponent's weakest blocker, especially when it's your best player? So, uh, no, we'll, we'll continue to manage her. We managed her last year. I thought we did a really good job of managing her. And the only time that she got out of the box a little bit was when she had a great matchup. And we just wanted to take advantage of it over and over and over again. Now, against a really good team, that's what we have to do. We have to take advantage. Against somebody that maybe is not providing as much of a challenge, we still can spread the ball around and, and not have to worry about it. Now, I thought one of the underrated parts of last year's team was how good you were defensively. I mean, obviously the headlines about, you know, what, you know, about McKenna watch, right. But um, you guys last year in the uh, NCAA were eighth in blocks per set first in the conference in that um, and uh, fifth in team total blocks. And I think one of the, and one of the keys there was Nerissa Moravec and Anne-Marie Watson. Um, Nerissa was third in the NCAA in blocks per set. They both graduated right now. You still have Claudia Dillon back. So, and, and the size that she provides. So, how are you going to fill those holes in the middle blocker position? Well, we have options here. And that's the one thing that's nice as a coach is this year, knowing we have options. First of all, as a right side with Watson blocking, you know, in her career, anywhere between a ball, a set and 1.2, a set, those are middle blocker numbers. Those are put in the top 25 of middles. And here she is a right side putting up these numbers. So she just had an insane ability to read, to get in front of a hitter and to, to get a block down on the floor. You know, um, we return Mackenzie Chambers, who is a good blocker, and we bring in Kari Zumach, a transfer from Indiana, who is also a very good blocker. So, you know, that's going to be a preseason battle that we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. But either way, we're still going to get some pretty good blocking numbers on the right side. Then in the middle, we have Amari Williams coming off an injury year. And we also have Abby Hansen transferring in from Oregon. Both are very high-level blockers. So we have a lot to replace. I'm not going to lie. I mean, replacing 1.45 blocks a set, top three in the nation, that just doesn't you know, just replace that. <laughs> um, but I'm hoping that we can cut into it a little bit with, with Claudia and with Abby and with uh, Amari. And I think, you know, we'll get the right combination on the floor to, if nothing else, make it easier for our defense to shine. And that's really what it was. It was making the block set it up where if they got the block, great. But if they didn't, the defense was in a great spot to dig a ball. And we're going to continue using a, a very simple formula for block dig. And uh, just we'll see how that pans out. Watson and Moravic, I mean, I would argue that they're right there alongside Tyra Harper as like a triumvirate of like the best blockers that this UCF volleyball team has ever had. And McKenna, you can also put together as one of the best offensive players UCF has ever had, considering she's now chasing Renata Menchikova for the most kills in program history. But you also have an all pretty all time great setter in Amber Olson making her return this year. She's currently fourth on the all time assist list. How important is it to have Amber 
return, especially considering she with McKenna, considering the facilitation that Amber does with the offense. The return of Amber is, is prolific for a couple of different reasons. One, obviously she's set for four years and she's won four championships. So bringing somebody back with the compliment of having McKenna and Claudia back and, you know, just the, some of the offensive pieces, she makes it so hitters don't have to adjust to a new setter. And that's really, it's just like having a quarterback return, right? It's the, the receivers know how a ball is thrown. They know the tempo, they know the spin, they know the arc. And that's going to be nice for everybody. Um, but new players coming in, Amber is so consistent in how she sets. And the, the, the ball is the same just about every time. And it's going to be very easy for the new players to get comfortable with a new system because of the way Amber sets. With that being said, the second thing that makes it so important with Amber returning um, is that we bring in Abby Shomers as a freshman. You know, she was player of the, uh, she was an AAU MVP. Um, and so she comes in as a freshman and there's not somebody better to learn from than to learn from Amber. And so Abby, Abby's going to be a fantastic setter for us. And um, having Amber kind of coach her through this freshman year, we'll get Abby some play time here and there. But um, Abby really has a great mentor in Amber. Um, and that's another, it's a benefit of, you know, Amber's fifth year. Quick follow-up on that. You think, because last year, uh, you've been running the six, two for forever, but last year you flipped back to the five, one. Are you, are you thinking you're going to stay with that formula or could we see Abby get in, in a six, two this year? Um, I think when you have somebody who's been as consistent and as much of a winner as Amber, you want her on the floor as much as possible. With that being said, we're going to do what we think is best for our team. You know, whatever system works best for our team. And if, if we think a 6-2 somewhere down the road is going to help us win one more round in the NCAA tournament or get us to an Elite Eight or a Final Four, yeah, that's what we'll do. But I think right now having that consistency of a setter, um, she set up our back row attack great when she's in the front row. McKenna actually hit better from the back row than she did from the front row. Hmm. Um, Zuma can hit from the back row. Heidi can hit from the back row. Emily Wilson can hit from the back row. So with a front row setter, we just may be using a lot of back row attack. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know until we get the team in the gym, but all I know is that it's nice to have uh, Amber back for a fifth year and have a consistent quarterback on your offense for that much time. I wanted to ask you too about the defensive specialists and in particular your your young libero, Caitlin Grimes, who was really fantastic last year. Um, I, I thought that she was, she was your, I mean, uh, no doubt freshman of the year, like, you know, quality. And she stepped in, she played so well throughout the season. And I think, but I think she also kind of, she kind of went out, went down highway 88 a little bit in that UCLA match because, you know, they, I, 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 I kind of felt bad watching that match because they kind of went after her a little bit. So uh, what has she learned this off season about, about how she's going to now make this next step in her game uh, as a defensive specialist? Because I mean, that back row is so, it is, is so critical for you guys to set Amber up to run the offense. Yeah, well, in terms of UCLA, 
um, with Caitlin. It's forget about that match. You know, I, I, I want her to forget about that match. The, the lesson she learned is that every touch and every practice is really critical and everything has to be a meaningful and a mindful repetition in whatever that she does. It's not that she didn't do that last year. It's just, I don't think she understood the intensity at which she needed to do it um, and, and replicate what that would be like playing in a match like that. So I think she comes in with a mentality this year, understanding what it's like to play in a big match like that. Um, she wants to win as much as anybody else. And, um, you know, I'm sure that, you know, way back in the back of her mind now, I hope, you know, she's, she wasn't crazy about the match that, you know, happened out there, but that's not why we lost. And uh, I want her to grow and move on. I mean, to take a freshman, send him out to the West Coast to the most storied volleyball program in the nation. And, um, you know, that's a tough sell for any freshman to go out there and compete at the top of their game. I thought she handled it great. And I think she has the knowledge and the maturity of this year coming into preseason knowing, okay, I know what it looks like to have to be excellent. Every contact in the gym has to be excellent. There is no misses or no my bads or no, oh, I should have got that. It's just go. And, you know, that's really what happened to McKenna between her freshman and sophomore year. All of a sudden, this mentality took over. Of everything has to be good. Um, everything prepares me for that moment. Now, you talk about the backcourt, though. I mean, Caitlin split time with Chloe, Chloe Shear, mm-hmm. and Chloe is developed. Um, well too so we really have a one-two punch at that libero ds ds libero position now you you bring in emma true lock out of ocala who's a freshman she's going to get some court time because the one thing she can do out of the back row that the others don't do is that she can attack out of the back row she has a lightning arm a little bit taller she's 510 has a lightning arm can crush a ball from the back row a nice jump serve so there's other things that she can do in times that we need it. Say we put her in for one of the, the big front row players and she's playing back row. She can attack out of the back row and play defense. So she adds another component. Um, but no, I think then you just, you return the consistency of, of Dresi pass. And, and Dresi was a setter that just really converted and accepted the role of serving and playing defense and thrived at that position. So she's coming back for her last year as well. So I think we're pretty well set in the back row. As long as we can hit the consistency marks that we want to hit, we're going to be pretty solid back there. So you have, a. this is a very upperclassman laden lineup. I mean, alone, you have uh, five, five graduate students and you mentioned this is Dressy's last year. Claudia is a senior. Mackenzie Chambers is a senior. And, you know, you've made it to the second round of the NCAA tournament a couple of times. D- considering th- this group, do you think this group is hungry to really kind of break through that glass ceiling and make it to and make it to round three? And how important do you feel like is now is the time for you guys to do that? Yeah, the one thing you never have to ask about this group ever, ever, is if they're hungry. Um, sometimes they're too hungry and they need to be reined in and held back. Um, I want them to take and approach it as a process, um, but you'll never question this group's hunger or uh, hustle or effort. Or it's as a coach, it's kind of sit back and put the car on autopilot and let them do their thing. Just kind of give them feedback here and there, and and that's about it. But I never, ever, ever even think to question uh, their effort or how hungry they are because they're starving. 
I want to ask you about the schedule, expanded conference schedule. How did that affect your non-conference schedule? I'm curious your overall thoughts starting on September 2nd. I feel like it's a week uh, later than normal. Is that accurate? Well, it's a week week later than everybody else. And what happened was I did not want to play two matches in one day. I don't think that's healthy for the athletes anywhere in the country. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think it's a positive thing. I don't think you have time to properly prepare and scout for a team. And so we really believe that the NCAA was, you know, going to make a, a fair um, ruling and allow for dates. Um, and they you know, 32 dates of play or something like that. Right now we're at 28 and they, they didn't. So, when we scheduled a year ago, we were scheduling on the hope that they were going to allow more dates. And so we have our 20 conference matches. That's really been the same since the the tournament uh, that we won against Cincinnati. But so that's pretty much been the same. The 20 has been a constant. You're allowed 28 dates. So in the fourth week, I schedule a three-day tournament playing one match a day. Third week, I schedule a three-day tournament playing one match a day. Then the second week we do a two match to get to our 28 and then it's wait and see if they pass the rule or not. Well, they don't pass the rule. So now we're off on the first weekend because we've run out of dates by playing one match a day, which I think is the most unhealthy ruling you could ever ask for in a student athlete Um, to see the injuries during two days. It's through the roof. And for us, we decided to kind of take a, an approach to this like Texas does. Texas doesn't play 30 matches, 32 matches. They play one match a day and that's it. And if they only get 24 in, then that's what they get in. So we're getting 28 matches this year. We're not playing on that opening weekend. What we didn't know was going to happen is that the NCAA was going to come with another rule that nobody saw coming. And that rule was you're only allowed to practice 17 days before your first match. We play on September 2nd. Back that up 17 days. We can start practice on the 15th or 16th, whatever it is, instead oh, wow. of the eighth. Yeah. Well, how does that affect UCF? UCF starts school a week earlier than most schools. So we lose an entire week of two days. We have five days of two days, and then everything else after that is one practice day. So right now, everybody in the country is doing two days, and we're waiting to start. And I think it was a really short-sighted decision, just in my opinion. I understand they wanted a uniformity across sports, but not all sports are the same. And uh, it it just put us really behind the eight ball in terms of number of practices and ability to get our athletes physically ready for the grind of a season. There could be some advantage to that, though, don't you think? Because if you're starting a little bit later, there's at least the possibility that you could be a little bit fresher more towards the end of the season, though. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is you're three matches behind everybody else. They've already figured a lot of things out even before you stepped on the floor. And they've had 12 extra practices than what you had. And that's a big deal. I mean, it used to be you had 29 practice opportunities before your first game, and now they just cut it down to 17 days. And for us, uh, 12 of those 17 are one practice a day. Yeah. So it, 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 it's, it's a, it's a disadvantage in some way. And yeah, there may be, you know, we'll have some fresh, the, the lining of all of this, the silver lining is that we return so many players, so many starters yep. that it doesn't affect us as much as it would if we were a really young team where we needed a lot of practice. 
I, I think we can get ourselves ready in that amount of time and be ready to play. We'll just be three matches behind everybody else. So we'll have some making up to do. Coach, you mentioned earlier that you talked how you kind of did your strategy, like how Texas does it. Of course, um, if um, as at, under the way things are going right now, you will join them in the Big 12 while Texas is still there for a couple of seasons. And you and this and this schedule actually allows you to have a bit of a sneak preview of a couple of Big 12 teams in Kansas State and Kansas. Um, how important is it for um, maybe some of the younger players the, to face those two, considering that they will become norm, regular conference opponents in the future? And will you try to get the younger player, the younger players, a little bit of playing time in those games to get them prepared for that? Sure, we're you know we're excited about that, that move. Um, we've had success against the Big Twelve, um, you know, against their teams that have gone on to play in the NCAA tournament. But Kansas and Kansas State were scheduled intentionally, of course. Um, that was to get that, that Big 12 feel. Kansas State comes here, but we go to Kansas. Uh, and for us heading into that conference, it kind of gives us an idea of, of where we are. We think we know where we are, but you never really know until you get on the floor with them and, and compete it out. So uh, two opportunities to play against the Big 12. And, you know, of course, we've got um, – a job to finish up here in the American and we know how we want to leave the conference and how we want to tie a bow on it. And we're not really looking forward too much to the competition in the big 12, but we see it on the horizon. It's something that's really exciting for us and getting to play these two teams only helps, you know, get, get ready for that, that day when that day comes. But right now the focus is on, you know, playing good non-conference teams, trying to build up a decent RPI, and then get through the conference, winning as many games as we can and, and hoping at the end it's enough. It's it's kind of, you know, a year from now, but that's kind of that's fast in coach's life, right? Like, I mean, from a scheduling standpoint and everything, how will that affect how you schedule non-conference with the Big 12 slate? And in particular, and this is, you know, you're not the first UCF coach we're going to ask this and won't be the last. How will this affect, for example, the USF matchup? Will that continue as a possibility? And if so, and how? How? I think everybody would like to see the USF series continue. Uh, rather or not it does, it's just going to depend on factors that are partly in our control as coaches, but also out of our control. I know the, uh, the Big 12 has already released the format of their schedule once the four teams come in. We'll play 18 matches, and the NCAA has moved to a 32-match season in the future so we'll have 14 dates instead of 12 for non-conference so we'll have plenty of time to play decent non-conference matches and get us ready for the 18 matches that we'll play in conference what they're going to do is it's going to be something like you'll play um, 12 matches uh, against six teams you play them twice and then you play six more matches against the team once and that'll make up the 18 and that'll be what our conference season is. So it allows us a lot of freedom to schedule non-conference. And sure, there's a, you know, we'd love to keep playing with Miami. We'd love to keep playing Florida Gulf Coast. Um, any, of the, any of those matches that help us build our RPI, we want to continue those matches. So we haven't scheduled anything yet, but uh, now that we know the format of the Big 12, we can go ahead and start putting four weeks of non-conference together. 
How, how much from your perspective have some of those administrative things changed now with the Big 12 on the horizon? Like, are you getting things like phone calls from other from from, you know, other schools saying, hey, let's get together for a non-conference matchup that maybe you haven't gotten calls from before or even in recruiting. Right. I mean, it, it opens up, you know, in, in volleyball, it, it it opens up a whole new kind of ball right. game here, doesn't it? Scheduling wise. It's been tough, Jeff. It's it's been tough to get teams to play us, especially at home. Um, they know what our home record is. Uh, they know the upset that we've had at home. Uh, it's tough to get that that RPI bonanza team to come play us here. Now they're willing to play us at their place, but they don't want to oh, necessarily <laughs> play us here. So there's going to be a lot of home and homes that we'll schedule. Um, in terms of recruiting it's undeniable the doors that it's open for us. Our 23 class is shaping up um, to be probably our, our best recruiting class since the mechanic class five years ago. And our 24 class is shaping up to be the best recruiting class that we've ever had. So it's, it's, there's, un, there's undeniable, no doubt that the conference change has opened the door uh, to a higher level of recruit without sacrificing character. Remember I said character and work ethic and family and all that stuff is huge to us. And we, we're, we're not going to step backwards on that because we're taking a step up in competition. We are who we are because of our ideals and because of our chemistry. We're not going to change that, even though we're moving up a conference. So we're, we're having access to better players without having to sacrifice integrity and without having to sacrifice chemistry. I, I got to ask you about kind of the big picture in the sport. You, you've you obviously been in this sport your whole life. Big story in the offseason, UCLA, USC is going to go to the Big Ten. As somebody that knows those two programs well from your time in California, what was your reaction when you heard the news, and how will you think that will affect volleyball? <laughs> so from my perspective, having been at USC and having been with UCLA for so long, why not? I mean, there's – they're in a conference where their TV dollars were going downhill, yet they're looking at the Big Ten where they can get $100 million per school. UCLA is in a financial hole that they can't climb out of in the TV deal that they're in. So it makes all the sense in the world for USC to get into the Eastern time zone television slots and UCLA to go along to help them get out of debt. And both their volleyball programs are going to compete in one of the best, if not the best volleyball conference in the country. So to me, it's no duh, right? It's, it would be stupid for them not to. I'm surprised. Uh, you know, I heard this was a possibility three years ago. I'm surprised it hasn't happened already, to be honest with you. It was, uh, I always knew that SC and UCLA would be the first to move out of the Pac-12. I just didn't know if it was going to be to the SEC or if it was going to be to the Big Ten. With Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC, it only made sense that they were going to the Big Ten. But when? And the reason why it happened on June 30th was because on July 1st, all of a sudden buyouts and grant the rights and all these things kicked in. So I remember having a conversation with a very prominent coach out on the West Coast who said, you're going to see a pretty monumental shift. And I said, well, when's it going to happen? He says, it's going to happen before June 30th because on July 1st, things change and it happened right on June 30th as called. So Man. didn't surprise me at all. I think it makes a lot of sense for both those schools. Fans look at conferences as geography. It's, it's the new wave of college athletics. You got to think 
You got to get rid of the geography thing. Got to get rid of the academic connection thing. You know, purists like me don't necessarily like that. It's the way it is and it's the way it's going to be. We're, we're heading towards super conferences quickly and then it's going to slow down and it's going to head that way and then it's going to slow down. But we're, we're going in that direction. That's the way it has to go. And so for USC and UCLA to jump ship and go to the Big Ten is absolutely the most, I mean, you could be blind and see that one coming. You know, it's, uh, it's just one of those no kidding moments. It's my, what my took only, so long. My only, my only concern, Coach, is, and you know this from volleyball travel, I hope that the Olympic sports, especially volleyball, when they're traveling to the Midwest and vice versa, when Big Ten's, you know, that they're taken care of. Because it's easy for football. They're traveling charter and things like that. But I hope that the other sports get taken care of when it comes to travel. Because these are student athletes. There is, you know, classes they got to take of. It is a long travel. That that was the thing that caught me, that has me, I guess, concerned. Eric, 100 million dollars <laughs> he gave, he okay. gave us the dr evil pinky for those of you who don't see you this like, <laughs> 100 million dollars they will be taken care of trust me good no that's what i wanted to hear that's all i wanted to hear <laughs> what uh, what's the what's the next domino that's going to fall you think i think right now we're in this middle uh we're in the middle of what's gonna what's notre dame going to do and it sure seems like they want to keep their independence they want to keep their tv deal they want to keep their access to the college football playoff i don't know if necessarily they're a domino if they do anything they'll just go into the big 10 um it's going to be something with the big uh the big 12 and the pac 12 it's going to be is is it going to be do they find a way to coexist as you know power five conferences does one raid the other does the other raid the one that's going to be the next big domino um i think the acc has locked themselves in with this grant of rights until the 2030s that i'm guessing they wish they didn't sign because right now a lot of them would have been targets for the big 10 or the sec for a lot more money but they're stuck they're they've signed their grant of rights and every legal scholar i've talked to said it's a pretty airtight deal if it was able to be broken it would have been broken already so mm. i think you're going to see something with the big 12 pac 10 you know of course selfishly i want to see the big 12 survive and if we bring a couple pac 12 schools along then so be it as you know my friends in the pac 12 think you know we've been here longer therefore you know we should be the conference that survives and we should take some pac 12 teams or big 12 teams with us so you know i don't know what's going to happen but i know it's going to be in the central uh mountain and pacific time zones i can tell you that what a time to be alive man holy smokes well you, you can't know, worry about that stuff you got you know bigger things to worry about like you know obviously the upcoming season and the packers not having Devonte adams at whiteout i mean that's that's a concern but they have aaron <laughs> Rodgers. that's right <laughs> i that's could right. run i could run slot for green bay packers with aaron Rodgers. <laughs> <laughs> Are you trying out? You should try out. You know, um, the the minute I hung a five in front of my age, I think my tryout window closed. <laughs> I understand. Look, look, Todd, you remember the last time we saw you on camera go out for a pass pattern in the venue? You almost broke your neck. Ah, it was just a minor flesh wound. <laughs> catch, it's, it's, it's catch the ball at all costs. Right. <laughs> Coach, I wanted to just um, bring back, as you mentioned earlier, that the 23 and 24 classes are some of the best that you've had since 
the McKenna class, of course, your your associate head coach, Coach Maurer, uh, found with uh, McKenna. And uh, she actually won. I don't know if you saw this, but she won our Black and Gold Banneret Award for Coach of the Year uh, for the on the women's side. So can can you just talk about how important Coach Maurer has been to kind of, to assemb- assemble these recruits, considering the 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 return on the return with McKenna, and now this recruiting class that you seem to be really excited about. Right. Well, I mean, first of all, I can tell you, I'm blessed to have two associate head coaches who are amazing. I mean, Brian, nobody has done a better job in the nation with a group of freshmen than Brian has done with that group of freshmen, starting with McKenna, in terms of training them helping them understand the game, develop their IQ. I mean, he has done the best job in the country um, of any team, putting us in the position to win the four in a row and now have us, you know, with a chance to win five. So I, 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 I as much as I want to talk about Jenny and I will, we can't ever forget the, what it, what Brian has done in terms of changing the history of this team. Now with Jenny, you know, I always look out there at who are the best recruiters in the country. Eve Rackham was at North Carolina. She got the head coaching job at Tennessee. Uh, Rebecca Hong uh, is at Wake Forest. She was at West Virginia before. I mean, these are coaches that absolutely overachieved what they should be achieving and recruiting. Jenny Maurer is number one on that list. Um, She has gone out there. She's built up the rapport with club coaches, high school coaches, science teachers, I mean, whoever it takes to, to be able to surround that athlete with a bubble of security. And uh, she's one of the best in the nation at getting talent in, which, you know, it's always amazed me when it comes to talent. I look at rankings every year. We have never had a top 30 recruiting class. We have never had a top 100 recruit. Yet, I can't remember the last time we were out of the top 30. So that just goes to show the recruiting job that Jenny is doing and then the training job that Brian is doing. It takes both of them to make it happen. But Jenny reserving, uh, deserving and getting that uh, assistant coach of the year award is very much deserved because nobody works at it as hard as she does. Nobody goes out there and pounds the pavement. Nobody, you know, some coaches will say, you know what, I like that kid, but they're a little bit out of our range, out of our reach. Jenny doesn't care. She's going after him anyway, and she's going to make the kid tell her no. Um, she's totally unafraid to go head-to-head against anybody in the country for an athlete. And she's doing that right now in the 23 and 24 classes, and she's winning a lot of those battles. So uh, it can't be – you can't – boy, a UCF AD once said, you can't win the Kentucky Derby with donkeys. And um, <laughs> it was Keith Tribble that said that. And Jenny – you know, goes out there and she recruits thoroughbreds that nobody realizes are going to be Kentucky Derby winners. She has a way of spotting them that other coaches just can't. And so she brings them in, Brian trains them. We get them together. We get on the floor and play. And for somebody that's never been ranked in recruiting numbers and honest to God, I don't care about them because I think they're a big farce. You have people that have no business ranking volleyball recruits doing these rankings, acting like they're somehow an expert, yet they've never coached any kind of level of volleyball or any high level athlete, but they're taking credit for, you know, giving these kids these rankings. And I don't know, somehow uh, without the rankings, we're doing okay. So (laughs) 
I'm, I'm telling you, as far as I'm concerned, we're bringing in the right kids. And I think the proof is in the pudding and the results. Don't get me started on recruiting rankings in every no, sport. We, yeah, we don't need to get into that. Um, I love the Kentucky Derby comparison you made, especially considering who won the Kentucky Derby this year. I think right. it really well. helps a lot. But I, the reason I asked about uh, Maurer, and I'm glad you mentioned Coach Brian as well. I mean, if we could break, give it to the whole assistant staff, we could. It's just only one can win, unfortunately. Blame Jeff. It's his rules. I, <laughs> okay, but, um, but I want the reason I asked is because you know obviously there are there are some people on teams that can go a little bit under the radar. Obviously, you're the head coach, and so I want, but I, so I wanted to make sure that you know we wanted to make sure with that award that the assistants can get highlighted. But I wanted to ask you that that similar question about this team. We talk about McKenna Melville and Amber Olson coming back. You have obviously, of course, you have Kari and Abby who are big transfers. And Claudia coming and back. And Emily, Emily Wilson Emily, is a big transfer yeah, too. Yeah. Yes, I, yes, Emily as well. And so I was going to ask you who on this team that maybe we haven't talked about, or maybe isn't as talked about as maybe she should be, that you think is in store for a big season that maybe might be a little under the radar right now. No, I thought Wilson crushed it out at uh, at University of San Diego, and she was on the all freshman team out there. I think she has a big leap that she can take. I think Heidi Bonde in her second year is getting even better and you know having that six four six five outside hitter that's that athletic and that uh strong of an arm that's going to be a nice weapon to have for many years um you know we've we've got more coming down the pipeline that we'll talk about it some other time but um i i think that uh one of the liberos is going to have a breakout year i uh i think that amari has an ability to have a breakout year um, Abby certainly has a chance to continue what she's already done in the Pac-12. And I don't know, I'm just anxious to see how we're going to put the pieces together because we're pretty deep in talent right now, both in experienced UCF talent, experienced transfer talent, but freshmen and newcomers as well. So I really like where we sit. Plus, I like where we're set up for the future. People are going to think, you know, once McKenna goes and once Kari goes, because Abby and Claudia have one more year after this because of COVID. So we have Abby and Claudia one more year, but so we're, we'll lose Drezzy. We'll lose Kari. Um, we'll lose McKenna for sure. Those three for sure. Um, but we're still bringing back a pretty good core now. Yeah. Losing your, your probably one of the best players in school history is going to be a blow, but you know, we've done that before we lost Kia. And uh, mm-hmm. that was a lot of offense that we had to make up for. And we were able to do it. I think of so Delana I'm not, I'm not, too, right? Yeah, Delana. So I'm not worried about our ability to fill in the holes in the future. They're going to be huge losses. You know, these, these McKenna especially is, you know, a first time ring of honor honoree, the first chance we get. And she sure as heck better be in the UCF Athletic Hall of Fame since there's a chance that she could rewrite the record books. And, uh, but, you know, the program will go on and the program will go on with great student athletes who bring a lot on and off the court. The yes. program will go on, but speak to her what she means off the court. You know, I remember you were there with her when she was honored as an All-American, but she's also an academic All-American. She, she's a scholar, really a great representation of the university. Uh that speaks to her. Have you seen her grow from when she walked on campus yeah. to where she is today? Let's talk about this. 
highest academic award you can receive at UCF Order of Pegasus. She's got that. She was nominated for Female Athlete of the Year by the NCAA. That, I mean, you talk about all these honors and she's so deserving of it. And it's not because of what she does on the floor. It's what she does in the classroom. It's what she does in the community. Uh, it's what she does along for her team and what she does for the athletic department. And I mean, it's endless, all the, all the ways that she gives back that nobody sees. And uh, she, she is deserving of every honor she gets or will get in the future. You going to bring her into coach when she's done? I'd love to bring her into coach when she's done. Um, her mom is one of the most prominent and successful coaches in Minnesota. And mom's about to retire very soon. And I see a pathway by which McKenna gets her teaching degree finished up. She's working on her master's right now. Um, she fills right in for mom, goes into the classroom and, and coaches high school. As much as I think she would be awesome at the collegiate level, I see her coaching high school at an elite level. Um, and the athletes are going to really benefit from her tutelage. Well, this, is, this year will be our last chance to actually see her play in a UCF uniform. And UCF starts their season September 2nd, the regular season, Friday at 7 p.m. September 2nd against uh, the Syracuse Orange. They have Kansas State the following day. Other teams coming to UCF this year in the non-conference include Miami on Saturday, September 10th. Uh, and the conference season starts September 30th against uh, Wichita State. Last question before we go, Todd. Uh, Packers, give us a record. Wow. I'm bouncing somewhere between 14 and 2 and 12 and 4 right now. So you're I thinking think, division, I, division championship and, uh, and I, another I, shot I think, at the ring, huh? I think the division's a joke this year. Um, so you that's, right. you know, I think that's six wins just right there by itself. And I think you pick off the other part of the other part of the NFC. You might have some problems with, you know, some of the top NFC teams. Uh, those will be shootouts. And then I haven't, I haven't even seen the schedule yet. I don't know which division they pair up against in the AFC, but it's, a, I think it's a 12 and two team. I think the running back core is the best green Bay has had since I can remember, even as a young kid. Yeah, nobody knows the receivers, but first, they're good. And secondly, they have a quarterback that's going to make them great. So, you know, they're going to score points. It's how good is the defense going to be? If the defense is a shutdown defense and get that fourth quarter stopped more often than not, they're looking at a, you know, 14 and two, 13 and three. Oh, sorry, 15 and two. Uh, 13 and four type season. All right. I know you'll be, we'll be following that, but we'll be following you much more closely as, uh, as UCF closes in on uh, what you guys hope will be a fifth consecutive conference title, 72 of the last 75. And I, and I did the math, Todd, since uh, the very end of the last eight matches of 2017, 102 and 22, Starting with a three nothing win against Tulane back on November seventh twenty or November tenth twenty seventeen, it's been a heck of a run, and hopefully it continues to go uh, as it has been here for for you and the team. Thank you so much for joining us once again. We'll see you on we'll see you for Syracuse on uh, or and I definitely will see you for Syracuse on uh, 
on September the 2nd. By the way, thanks for, thanks for being the first UCF team to bring both my alma maters into town here. I'm glad we could do it. You know, I, Syracuse is not only Syracuse is not only your alma mater, but it's Brian Doyen's alma mater as well. That's right. So he gets to play against uh, this, the school that he went to and excelled in college sports there. And they're no slouch either because Bakir Ghanasaratnam is the head coach there. He's been at Temple and they've given you guys some matches over the last couple of years. We've had great rivalries and I have nothing but respect for Bake and uh, looking forward to renewing the rivalry just in a different colored jersey for him. All right. Thanks again, Todd. We appreciate you. Best of luck as the season starts. Uh, practice is starting in about five days. We're recording this on Thursday, August 11th. And uh, like we said, we'll see you Labor Day weekend. Looking forward to it. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. All right. That was Todd Dagenet, UCF VB Todd on Twitter. Todd's been making the rounds, man. He uh, was out talking with the Marching Knights. He brought Mackenzie Milton in to talk to the team. He's got, uh, you, you know, he's he's been making the rounds with Bryson. He was on the show with us. He's talking to Helwig. He's got the man. The man is everywhere now for this uh, for this season. I um, I still am in awe of that uh, of that mark uh, since the sort of back third of the 2017 season. Eric, UCF volleyball has won. 72 of their last 75 matches against American Athletic Conference opponents. Their only losses were two to Jordan Thompson and Cincinnati. Jordan Thompson's the best player on the U.S. Olympic team. And one to Houston last year. Now, Houston is largely considered to be... We haven't seen the preseason uh, polls yet, but Houston is considered to be maybe the best challenger to UCF this year. But uh, looking at how everything breaks down, Eric, is this, yeah. you know, is, is there more pressure on volleyball this year than any other sport to Ooh. finish out the American like this? We're going to obviously not football is in a different category. So I don't want to, you know, football, obviously no, let's put the them pressure. in there. Let's let's, I mean, yes, uh, well, you know, football, football always, has, always pressure, has a ton of there, pressure. Is there um, pressure to win the American? I think there's pressure on volleyball. I, I, it's, by the way, let's clarify, because I think when people say the word pressure, they always, they think it's a negative connotation. This is a good problem to have. You know, teams oh, yeah. that you know teams <laughs> that don't have pressure, teams that aren't very good usually. So yeah. I, I want to preference that. <laughs> the opposite of love is apathy. It's not hate. right. <laughs> but I do think with volleyball, if you want to call it pressure, yeah, I mean, there's you're trying to win a fifth conference title, but then there's that elusiveness. Last year. No UCF team in Division One era went as far as last year's UCF team went. They were what a handful of swings away, a few points away from winning that bonus Sweet set, Sixteen. Right went to a fifth set in the second round was uh, was like three swings away from the Sweet Sixteen. Agreed. And now you kind of have a good nucleus back, including which is the other biggest storyline individually. McKenna Melville. Maybe the greatest player in the history program. That's going to be the big topic throughout the year is where does she rank all time? Mm-hmm. You know, she's right now in the conversation with a Tanya Harper, Renetta Michikova, Jenny Frank, who's a setter. It's hard to compare setters versus outside hitters, etc. But she's in that conversation and a lot will be determined how she finishes her career and how the team finishes. This could be your best opportunity to get to the round of 16 before you go to the big 12 uh, so there's pressure, I guess, from that standpoint with this team. I think they're shooting high. 
I think they saw what happened with softball. I think they feel they could get that top 16 seed. They're going to shoot for that. Or if you can't get the top 16 host site, put yourself in a good position to get yourself in a good draw where you have a shot to win like they did last year where they got flipped, uh, shipped out to L.A. and got a good draw, a fair draw. And unlike past years where you're busing two hours for McAllister and Gainesville. So that's what's at stake, I think, for volleyball this year. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm with you on that. I, I think that it was good for them to actually get shipped out last year, like you said, because it was it was an irregular opponent in Pepperdine and then UC and then UCLA, who they actually matched up well. And obviously, they had to lead in the match. They almost knocked UCLA out in four. Um, but uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it bodes well that they've hosted before uh, a couple years ago. It's just that you know. Remember, they've been snake bit the last couple the last couple years prior to last year. Remember, Erin Olson was out that year. Uh, she she got hurt just prior to the the last match of the regular season, um, and and couldn't play in the match that they lost in the first round on the home floor to Florida Gulf Coast, and then the following year. Uh, it, it, the COVID year happens. They end up playing in the spring, and then Amber Olson, our setter, was also was also in bad shape heading into that heading into that match that they lost in five to High Point. So I, I think the key is going to be, you know, it, it, for all the accolades that they have, and I think this is a good thing for the team. This still sticks in their craw a little bit. They're like, you know, we are not done here. You know, we no, got, I think we got I think that's still. Want yeah, to accomplish, and we have, we have some stuff that we left on the table the last few years that we want to take take care of. And you don't have McKenna Melville's come every so often. That's a you know generational player, so you yeah. want to kind of cash in. To uh, you know, Kyle brought this up in the opening segment. Houston, you brought up that's the, probably the team. If there's going to be a team that pushes them in the league, it's Houston. I'm interested to see how Houston comes out. That you know, I think if you ask the volleyball players. That's their rival. Them and Cincinnati are their rivals, ironically, in volleyball. That's what if you ask the players. Since I, if 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 we gave them truth serum, I think they would say Cincinnati still. But Houston's um, kind of been the one that's kind of Houston's, starting to you know been pushing the last couple of years. They've been yeah, risen, they, that, they, they were one of the first could, four out last year. Yeah, yeah, that could develop this yes. year. We'll see how it and goes. going into next year too because they're going together. That's big. Yeah. yeah, that's something that they're going to bring quickly. Bryson, go ahead. So. One, th- one thing that I've noticed in a lot of sports is you hit the transfer portal when you really need a certain something. Either you really need bodies or you need someone to complete your set because last year's team was a really good team. And and then they lose Amory Watson and Narissa Moravic. The good news is, is that a majority of them is coming back. So what does Todd do? Coach, he goes to the group, the transfer portal to get a, another a grad student right side player in Kari Zumak and a grad student middle blocker in Abby Hansen. Boom, reloaded and ready to go after that, that elusive sweet 16 bid. Yeah. This is what I think, in my opinion, is, volley, is volleyball's current era last stand. And that is going to be, and I think that it's going to be very entertaining to see this because it's, this is like do or die for like, at least this, in this era. And it's, it's now or never. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah I'm with you. And I think, and, and, you know, the, the coaching staff, 
and you know the players in some of my more casual conversations have said that like this is this is the class they want to they want this class to go out you know in a in a big way and i and i i will say one other player that we haven't mentioned much who's been here the last couple years and has not seen the floor very much due to a series of injuries amari williams who came over from florida state a couple years ago amari is a really good player and i'm really looking forward to seeing uh to seeing what amari can do uh on the floor and i'm also looking forward to see who is going to be the next player who's going to try and fill the enormous shoes left behind by McKenna Melville. You know, uh, Todd has talked with us in the past about how good Heidi Bond is. Um, you know, he, we've talked a couple times about how some of the other players, you know, there are some players in recruiting who he's really, who he's really excited about. Um, you know, we mentioned uh, Emily uh, Wilson, who's an outside hitter from Estero, came over from San Diego, although she's kind of like, she's kind of like a plug-in kind of player, at least at this point, uh, who's going to compete for that spot that was left open by um, Tali Marmon. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but there's, it's, you know, we talk about a team that's reloading. It's going to be this one. So our first chance to see them in action will be, once again, September, uh, 2nd. September the 2nd against the Syracuse Orange, and once again, thank you, Coach Todd, for bringing in my other alma mater to start the season. I'm going to be there to watch Syracuse. By the way, and and uh, and Todd talked about this. You see who Syracuse's new head coach is? Yeah, former Temple coach, a rival long uh, Bakir, time. Bakir yeah. got, a, got got a Saratnam from Temple, who put together some really scrappy teams at Temple. They make their record may not have been good, but a couple times they gave UCF a little bit of problems. Yeah. Um, they, Joined they the, it took over the program. Five. Yeah, took the program over at Syracuse like in May. Very odd to see yeah. in volleyball. Very late. Yeah. Very late what... to take over the program. Yeah. So September 2nd, Kansas State will be. That's the big one, too, that weekend. That'll be the next night yeah. at uh, UCF. Interesting State. to see. Yeah, I'm going to be really interested to see how we how we play against Kansas State at home in the next match. And then the Jayhawk Classic two weeks later, we face Kansas. Another Kansas is ranked 12. in the top 25 preseason poll. Yeah, yeah. So they're pretty good. Um, and then, and then, and then we dive right in. We don't uh, play. Let's see. We play at Houston October seventh, and play them at home on uh, the day after Thanksgiving. Remember, no, uh, or yeah, is it, yeah, Black Friday, day after Thanksgiving. So remember, no conference tournament in the American once again this year. Um, which Todd loves, <laughs> and we've talked about that many times before. Um, so the winner of the conference regular season gets the crown and gets the auto bid. So um, it's going to be, uh, it's going to, it's th- this is going to be a big year for volleyball. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how these how they start to transition things and how they go for this fifth ring. All right, stick around. We come back. Little grab bag of stuff. Some changes at the bounce house, FBC Mortgage Stadium. Some more drink options will be available. I know that's good news to a few people who are who are who are in the conversation. Probably a few people listening right now uh, as well. And uh, naming rights. You know the uh, the Mo uh, Mohajer Mo Money. He just keeps bringing in more and more sponsorship deals. I'll tell you, Terry Mohajer is wheeling and dealing. We'll catch you up on that uh, and a few other things when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We are back after this. 
Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Bryson Turner, Kyle Nash. A little grab bag of things we want to talk about before we go for the week. Uh, guys, what do we want to what are we gonna start this third segment with here? Booze. <laughs> yes, I was waiting for that one. Alcohol. Oh right, my god. Baby. They're this going the, to the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Yes. Is that was that Benjamin Franklin who said that? No, Homer uh, Homer Simpson, that's right. No, well, uh, no, it was Benjamin Franklin that said, beer is proof that the good Lord loves us and wants us all. wants us all to be happy. Uh, there will be alcohol sales at the Bounce House at, uh, at FBC Mortgage Stadium. Uh, outside the Carl Black and Gold uh, Cabana as well. Alcohol will be sold stadium-wide for the first time, uh, available for purchase throughout. Guests must be 21 and older, present a valid ID. Uh, full alcohol policy, and I'm actually, I actually have this right here um, at uh, on UCF's uh, facilities uh, site. So it says uh, 21 and older, outside the stadium, not allowed inside. Sales will be cut off at the beginning of the fourth quarter or at the discretion of UCF Athletics and FBC Mortgage Stadium event management staff. Uh, let's see. Uh, obviously, you got to show your ID. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, I mean, all the, pretty much all the standards, all the standard rules uh, that, they, uh, that you see around the country at, at other places. Um, it was always a... Um, the issue is always the stadium being on campus, uh, which is why they didn't permit alcohol sales for forever. Now, I don't know what sort of uh, changes in policy needed to be made in order to clear that, but it is happening now. Um, and uh, it, I'll put it to you guys. Good decision? Yes. Uh, I think it is. I saw it up close in the spring with baseball and softball. It made a difference. Uh, How people, so? Uh, people, I think the attendance improved. People actually like they like drinking, watching sports. It's uh, whether it's at home or at the stadiums or at the arenas. That's part of it. I mean, we've seen it. Uh, Kyle, you and I have been at pro sports. You're at the NFL games every Sunday or in Jack. I mean, that's you go in there. You'll see people drinking outside the stadium. You'll see them going in the the concession lines, mm -hmm. and that's the thing. It brings revenue for UCF. That's why it's the it's the move. Now I know some people that have the cabana seats are not happy because they used to have the exclusivity of that. I get all that, but this is going to bring added revenue. And I think what Terry Mahajer has done here, he's bringing revenue wherever he can get it. Right. Uh, that worked with baseball and softball. Softball had made money this year. It had the most revenue they've ever had. They made money. A part of that was because they sold. Uh, alcohol for the first time at softball. Baseball did that. Bryson was there. I do think that helps. Uh, you know, regardless how you feel about it, that helps. And I think in a football environment, yeah, because you know that people like drinking to watch football. I mean, not to sound too cliche, but that that is an extra element that people like. So why not? You know, you uh, take advantage of that and make some revenue for yourself. I get a little worried about obviously you know concerns we've seen. You know, nationwide at this point about you know college students and binge drinking and a little and and you know somebody goes and gets a beer and brings it back to the stands right I mean you know it's that's the part that does worry me but what's it is that any different than any other college football stadium in the country 
No, right. and I, I would even add, actually, it being in the in the stands kind of subdues a bit of that, Jeff. Right, because because those that stuff wasn't being sold previously. What do the students do before the game? But pregame and binge their proverbial butts off to get set up and pregame, you know, by getting completely blitzed beforehand. And in some cases, you know, there are those that don't even make it to the game because they're so tanked. By the way, combined with Florida weather and it being as hot as it is, depending on what time the game is, they could be going all day. And that's something that if they're selling that and a portion of that will come away now because they can actually get it in the game that's a great point that is a that's a fantastic point you just brought up there because we've all been there at one point where we tailgated and you're right kyle a lot of the issues drinking outside the stadium is in part because they know they can't drink in the stadium mm -hmm. so they now they kind of try to kind of get it all in their system and that's so they where tank up before the game right and, and kyle makes a great point some people don't make it out that's why a lot of times we complain oh geez the students are late what's going on well because they're, they're tanking. right and i don't want to make it sound like everybody's drunk or anything but that is a valid point because your mindset like we've been to nfl games it's a different thinking process You're, you don't see that in as much as much because you know hey i can still have a few drinks if i want to in the stadium and and pace myself instead of trying to get you know yeah now jeff i agree with you i i think that is always a concern sure. uh that makes me nervous but i think some would argue what's the difference between a student would you rather have the student getting uh drinking at a football stadium or drinking at a bar and then you know what's you know what's the big difference the main diff the, the main hope is when you get out of those places that you don't drive Let, and then, yes. that, and and i think at football actually with by them shutting it off in the fourth quarter and you're you're wasting you know you're using a lot of energy you could say that maybe that's a better environment than say if you're drinking at the bar who's going to stop you at the bar well well i would i would hope a couple things number one plenty of transportation for the students back to their back to the off-campus sure. housing right. uh-huh um right. you know and, and ucf has been very good about that in recent years number two hope we have a little bit more uh available for ride shares you know, grab your, you know, you know, if you if you need an Uber or a Lyft, you get that, you get that to go back to wherever it is. Now, or what scooter, I, what, 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 a scooter you, too. I well, uh, no, 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 no. Making Eric, some might make, some might want to make that an adventure. I mean, who knows? Oh, no, no, don't no, encourage do them. Don't encourage them. them. They'll do listen, it. But but listen, my point. Look, but to your point, well, here's, here's the thing. We're all we're all either forty or pushing it. So I want to defer the only actual active college student among the four of us right now, Bryson Turner, who can at least provide us, who, by the way, is also over the age of 21, just in case you people are wondering. Really? Um, who can, you know, who can at least provide some insight into the That's modern... breaking news. Into the modern situation around college students and alcohol. Uh, I'm not saying that Bryson is an actual, you know, Bryson, Bryson knows how to party. So, uh, but no, seriously, I want to know what you think about all this. Uh, yeah. So first, uh, thank you very much for that. I pre I for asking my opinion. Anytime. And, um, and it's funny because I'm actually a, a little over a month away from turning 22. But whoa, uh, but, you old but, smart. But um, uh, Kyle, we can cancel the fake ID for him. There, we just put it. We can cancel. But, that. Okay. I, I had a six oh pack God. of IBC root beer. I was going to celebrate <laughs> with. Now I can get in the real stuff. <laughs> Look, okay i'm gonna so, get fired okay carry on probably um so 
take it. Sorry, I'm laughing, losing myself laughing. Um, okay, so <laughs> take it. Why am I laughing? Oh my god, bad <laughs> jokes for the win. Okay, okay, okay so me, me okay, so um, your your main concern is as a college Kyle, Kyle mentioned pre gaming. So when I lived on campus with roommates, this was pre COVID. Um, they they did not go to football games very much, but they pre-gamed before they went out places where they weren't allowed to, you know, actually drink there because it'd be drink there. And so this was back pre-COVID. So obviously that that I think that translates to the bounce house. And I think what's what's great is is that drinking inside the stadium it helps, I think, prevent the 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 situation of drunk people going into the stadium because I honestly think that people that you know drunk people going into the stadium is a little more dangerous than coming out of it because at least coming out of the stadium you can be more or less drained from the rowdy experience right, right. of a football game and so you can just go like and so you can just go and in the case in the case of on campus students they can just you know walk home or go to the burger you or wherever they go on campus on campus i stress that after a game after a game student wise um and then um honestly my only concern about this and maybe and maybe this is just because i'm a picky person but uh, what but is is the offerings because i think the only concern now is going to be what kind of alcoholic offerings are you going to offer and is it going to be popular enough to where you know, people, you know, that say some people are, you know, a dedicated, for example, my, my dad, he's a big McUltra guy. If they don't sell Michelob Ultra in the stadium, is he still going to, you know, purchase the alcohol in the stadium or is he still going to just drink? And, and, and I'm not going to say that he would do this, by the way, this is, I'm just like using, and this is just a, and, you know, analogy. Um, if he would still, you know, drink his Michelob Ultra beforehand and then go and then go and still do that. Now, Granted, this is it, at least that's going to go down a lot, but I think that there's there's still going to be maybe that small subsect of the population that could still do that that is a little more picky. No, I've got no, the uh, I've got the offerings. I'm sorry, Kyle. I want to get to I want to hear what you have to say in a second, but I just wanted to answer that real quick. Uh, according to the full concessions list on UCFnights.com, uh, beer will be available. Uh, Yingling flight and Corona. Yingling Corona and Miller Lite in portable stands. Uh, and I want to see, let me see what else do we have here. Anything? Oh, uh, there is, oh, they will also sell uh, Funky Buddha Seltzer, White Claw, and High Noon. Uh, and wine will also be available. Wine. So that's, yeah, yeah. For the, for well, we the, know where Glukov's going to be in the second quarter. There, the wine and cheese crowd. Oh, 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 oh. oh my goodness. Um, so anyway, those those Evan those Murph. are the offerings. I'm sorry, Kyle. Go ahead. No, you're fine. I was actually going to add to that offering concept. First of all, I too is somebody who partakes of Mick Goldra. Step your game up. Yingling flight is just as good, if not better. So you're just fine. Um, I'm joking, Bryson. But yeah, I mean, to that point, you mentioned Funky Buddha being listed. Like with all the micro brews in the area that are available, especially near Florida and heck, even near campus, as this program expands as it would be, and more of those get involved as they grow, I could argue that the offerings, maybe not this year, aren't the best. But hey, anybody that supports Yingling over the uh, over the uh, InBev stuff you know, your buds, your Bud Lights and stuff is already ahead of the game. But I think there's enough of a local beer population around here 
that that too will get better with time. And it isn't bad starting out here. I mean, heck, there's a a, a radio personality that works at one of my, you know, favorite local uh, micro brews here as well. So. By the way, let's also clarify, uh, we're making it sound like everybody in the stadium is getting drunk. That's not the case at all. It's a it's a small percentage of the stadium. And a lot of times those people are with somebody that maybe is not drinking. Sometimes you're drinking with food. Uh, so let's not, you know, like I saw and Bryce and I'll defer to you. What you, I didn't see anybody, you know, people drank at softball, but it wasn't like, oh, wow, this guy's drunk. Like people were responsible, at least from yeah. my experience, Bryce. And did you I mean, you were at baseball more than I was. I never heard of like any like, whoa, you know, there's an issue here. Did you Bryce it over at baseball? No, and this and and this and no, and I don't think this is a pro. And I don't voice this as a concern with the other sports because the other sports have tried this out. And well, let's face it, there's a smaller popular, there's a smaller crowd base that you can do this with. With foot, with football, with football, you have you know there. Even though it's like a smaller, a small percentage of it, there's still more people involved in this and i just and for me it's one of the um i learned this in a one of my sport business classes that i have is just when you prepare for certain things you sometimes just want to prepare want to prepare yourself for something that may not even you know happen like how the lights went off in the super bowl and the, the one of the things that they prepared for was something similar to that not completely and that sort of thing my whole point is no the, the entire stadium's not going to get drunk but i'm just going to go but i'm going to analogize as if it was because that way preparing for the worst means you'll be you'll and i be, think the overwhelming majority yeah, is yeah. responsible i think let's right, all right. clear sure. that yeah. out no, yeah, exactly 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 and so i and for the and for the record, a lot of people I've seen are the mostly response are the mostly responsible type. I'm just saying that though a lot of people at football are rowdy. And what does alcohol do in uh it alcohol do? It you know um your inhibitions are down. In, yeah. Inhibitions are a little down. And so that and so basically what I'm trying to get at is that you don't I I don't think you need a lot of alcohol for a rowdy crowd to become even rowdier sure you'll have the people that'll be completely wasted but i think that you know the rowdiness aspect is also a part of that and sometimes you don't need a, a too much alcohol to do that and well, that's i and that's really the only thing that i think people may try to do because don't forget let's not forget that there obviously are is some part of the fan base that is very rowdy and uh, and uh, that is very rowdy and i just Basically, my worry is I just don't want people to get into fights with opposing fans. But, but there's always going to be sports fans in every sport, no matter what you have alcohol, don't have alcohol, that's going to be rowdy. So I feel like sometimes we use that as a crutch, as the issue when there's probably, you know, somebody just wants to get rowdy because their team's losing. Oh, bottom, bottom line is. But it's good it's, business. It's good, yeah, business. Yeah, it's good business. You're making money business. and you got to oh, make revenue. Yeah. I will say this real quick. I do wonder if I was somebody that had a ticket at the cabana, how do I feel about this? Cause I, that was one of the perks that I would have. So does that change? That's the only thing that I can think of as a possible, you know, do you lose some people that would have normally bought tickets in the cabana, for example? But that's, I think so. Cause the food offerings are pretty do, good there. All you got to do is offer exclusive stuff there at the cabana. Yeah. Level. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We're selling to even the plebs that aren't in the cabanas, but you can get, so and so now as well. So they- are you talking? Are you talking about the field cabanas or the black and gold cabana? Yes. <laughs> okay. Both. So 
um, according to a release on UCF Athletics website, because there's this is another page that I found. The Field Cabana says the Field Cabana section says. By the way, they said they have new TVs there, which is really interesting. But um, they have exclusive game by game buffet and expanded beverage options, which I have to imagine would include some drinking. And oh, then I- in this and the Black and Gold Cabana, it says for fans 21 and older. New frozen adult drinks, boozy popsicles. I have no idea what a boozy whoa popsicle. that actually sounds pretty uh, awesome. Main <laughs> Seriously, bar, oh, now we know. Where- <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, here, no, here's, here's the big one right Heaven Door bourbon, ghost tequila, tequila, and Tito's vodka. There's your exceed. There's your, your options. Yeah. Listen, what it all comes down to is, folks, do the night thing, mm-hmm. all right. Uh, drink, drink, uh, we were joking, Bright. We're not going to give Bryson any drinks. We only give uh, Drew gives Brian Murphy drinks. That's only people to. we buy. He's him. twenty. He's going to be an old man. He's twenty two in a couple weeks. Like he can handle himself, right? You know, I'm just saying. All right. So uh, now, speaking of making money off of sports, UCF yeah. is continuing to do that with Addition Financial Arena, which uh, it was just announced a little bit earlier today, officially. Uh, First broken by our own Bryson Turner, who scooped everybody on this one. Uh, So much so that the Sentinel had to. Yeah, Jason Beatty. How you Uh, like that, Beatty? uh, 12 year, $20 million extension of the naming rights agreement between Addition Financial Credit Union and UCF's uh, arena, uh, which goes through uh, the new deal takes place uh, or, or takes effect January 1st of 2023 so 12 years puts us to december 31st 2035 man we're gonna be really old by then um the uh yeah so it was uh it's expected to be approved but uh, this is a pretty good deal once again you're looking at uh you know i'm trying to do real quick matthew uh, 20 1.67 million a year yeah one one and two-thirds million a year so terry mahajra just continues to wheel and deal out here well, what's really interesting, Jeff, is that this um, is that based on total value, this deal is actually is actually bringing in more money over the long term than the stadium naming rights deal by about five hundred thousand dollars. The FBC mortgage one is what it was naming rights deal was for ten years, nineteen point five million dollars. So sure, the annual payment is going to be is going to be more with that as it should be, but over the longer term. This deal is actually the larger one. I'm trying to see what the naming rights are for comparable arenas. I haven't found too many of them. I've been looking at um, Fifth Third Arena is uh, Cincinnati's basketball arena. It was uh, owned by, or, or not owned by, it was uh, named for Fifth Third Bank. Um, but I haven't seen anything about uh, the naming rights deal uh, that they that they discussed there. So well, Jeff, while you're looking for that, I'll stall for you a bit. Like the thing that I enjoy the most about it being named addition financial is two things. First of all, I love that on a university, on a co- college campus addition, something in reference to math is the name. And moreover, I can make the dad joke that this deal is a fine addition to the college. Oh God. <laughs> and that uh, everybody is your, is your, is your student of the game. Dad joke. Yeah. What can I say? Except you're welcome. Um, one other thing that I really love, uh, I really love about this is that um, you could uh, is that speaking of math, actually, um, the old media, the old naming rights deal 
uh, uh, annually was $564,285.72 per year. That was what is was originally was per year in for the original 2013 agreement. Now, with the $1.67 million a year, I did the math on this, that is almost triple the money you're getting on that per year. Exactly 2.95 times, but it's close enough that it's almost triple. The, uh, well, a little bit of a comparison. I'm sorry, Kyle, I'll get to you in a second. But uh, Houston, their football stadium, TDECU Stadium, 10 years, $15 million. But that was signed back in 2014. So I imagine that that's well, 2014. So 2024, I think that's going to be coming up fairly soon. Uh, 2024 is when that's going to be uh, is when that's going to be coming up for renewal. Go ahead, uh, Kyle. Yeah, just in time for Big 12 stuff. That'll be interesting to see. Yeah, good timing there, huh? Yeah, well, and and I have to say this. This is another prop to Timo on this. You get that tremendous multiplication to addition uh, in the deal you're talking about there, Bryson. That's a big deal. But give addition more credit, too. And they're they're leaning in to some NIL action. Renaya getting her uh, uh, NIL ad there for addition financial and doing that. This is just not only showing that they're not somebody – just throwing money at the stadium, but they're partnering with UCF long-term with even the athletes. That's the kind of base you need in this new life where you're going to be competing with NIL and all this other stuff with other entities that are blue bloods and have a, a, a heck of a foundation for that kind of booster type stuff, you know, Granted, I'm I'm assuming things stay relatively wild, wild west to an extent, but the punchline's this UCF battling these blue bloods and that money in the NIL situation, getting a long-term uh continued support from addition financial, absolutely huge big picture. Hmm. Uh New Jersey Advanced Media reports that Rutgers' arena, the rack, which is an old building, by the way, mm-hmm. um We'll have a naming rights deal with, of course, Jersey Mike Subs. Uh, <laughs> the length of the deal is not known, but it could be in the neighborhood of $30 million is what they're saying. But I, but again, they didn't report on how long the, the naming right, how long that, that naming rights deal will be. I so, yeah. And, and by the way, that, that place eats 8,000, which is even smaller than, uh, than, than addition financial. So, but it'll be addition financial arena for at least a, uh, for at least the att- formerly CFE credit union, now addition financial. So it's a think- nice addition financially. Get it? Huh? Uh, oh, I mean, Eric's it's not even a dad, and he nails the dad joke. See, Kyle's rubbed off on me, rubbed off on Bryson, and now me. You learn well, Padawan. One other thing I want to ask you, Jeff, actually, is you mentioned that one uh, it's, it's naming rights deal that was signed in 2014. I mean, we talk about how. Right. We talk about how, you know, the media rights for live sports is currently rising, like the value of it's going up. How would I would you say that the naming rights for sports venues is also kind of going up in a similar fashion? Because I was uh, doing oh, yeah. research for my story that's on black and right now in hint, um, that and one of the. Uh, responses that I got from a source that I e- emailed was uh, like in part be- not only was it because of Edition's commitment with you you know partnership with UCF to Kyle's credit but also because of the rising you know value of college of college athletics. Well, yeah, I mean, there's going to be you know, when we talk about naming rights, what are we really talking about? You know, it's exposure. It, this is another thing that comes back to I think you know Eric in particular, you know about this exposure on television. 
Live from Edition Financial Arena, it's UCF. Yeah, that's the big selling. Yeah, yeah. Cincinnati, mm-hmm. Houston, Texas Tech, you name it. Um, it that's you know, it, it's it's free advertising in a way uh, that you talk about. And as that, as a given school gets more exposure on larger platforms, we're probably going to see UCF exposed a lot more on network television in the coming years not just espn or wherever the big 12 decides to take its television rights but we're probably going to see it see ucf on quite possibly a little bit more on fox network television or whoever it is that decides to pick up uc that's more eyeballs watching that and also more pairs of ears hearing things like it, it, like fbc mortgage stadium and addition financial arena and that has value so uh, so yeah, naming rights are going to go up certainly for um, schools that are in the Power Five or are heading there. No doubt about it. Good, to, it's good to see that. I, it, you know, um, on I, I honestly kind of, you talk about how busy Mohajer is. All of these big deals that he's been nailing, the three naming rights deals for Addition, FBC, and 3MG, and the Playfly Sports, all of that happened since the spring 2022 semester ended. All that happened since this, since that. So basically, over the course of the summer, Mohajer's done all of this. Not bad. <laughs> he's been he's been killing it. I, I, now, one thing that we will be seeing, though, and we're going to be uh, wrapping up on this, is the Big Ten actually finalizing its media deal. And Eric, you have the details on this. <laughs> uh, you got the uh, release with the Big Ten going all NFL on us with Fox, CBS, and NBC. We call that one NFL model. You're going to hear more and more of this as we get to college football. Well, what yeah. are the details on this that we haven't talked about before that you found the most interesting? Well, I think the the surprising thing to me is they're going to rotate the Big Ten title game between Fox, CBS, and NBC. I, I was not anticipating that. Uh, but my goodness, they're making, what, $7 billion up until 2030? There's going to be exclusive Big Ten. $67 million per school. Per school. Yeah, it's good money. Rutgers is going to get $67 million a year. By the way. Just for existing in the Big Ten. Yeah. By the way, all you – yeah, if I ever hear a Big Ten school cry poverty or going to drop a sport, like, we should just just crush them, like, media-wise. Like, remember all the – oh, woe is college sports, and like, two years ago. Yeah, woe is us. Um CBS obviously will have a 330 package. There's going to be an NBC primetime package. I mean, yeah, they're going to be a lot of exposure. I think it's clear if you look at the numbers, they could even go up to 10 billion. They could escalate it if they add more schools, which is basically a, right. a yeah, we're going to add more teams. There's an escalate. That's that's I think the key. There's there's an escalation yes. clause that says that if they add more teams, they're not splitting the same pie among fourth among more schools which would cause all the schools to get less in total. No, they just add another piece of the pie. So Right, and there's a window here, 2022 to 2030. So they could make this move in a few weeks. It could be next year. It could be two years. This is why bad. Why 2030? That's the last year of this contract. So, I mean, no, by then... I know, work. but, like, why that particular... Uh, here's what I want to know. What is that... Line, how does that line up with Notre Dame's deal with NBC? Well, Notre Dame's TV deal with Notre NBC comes up in uh, 25, I want to say. It's a couple years from now. They think they can get 75 to over 100 million by staying independent. We will see. The good news for them is they have time to figure this out. 
I do think there's the possibility they're going to move their other sports away from the ACC to the Big Ten. I think you're going to see the Notre Dame-Michigan rivalry renewed magically all of a sudden. Uh, I think this is bad news from a a big Pac-12 standpoint because if you're Oregon, Washington, even Stanford maybe, why would you commit anything long-term with the Pac-12 knowing that the Big Ten is going to probably add you at some point here in the next few years? You wouldn't want to – yeah. You're right. That's going to be... You know what else I'll throw in there? I know you laugh at me, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah. California. I mean, I'll at this t- point, I'll I don't think there's... A, yeah, yeah, no, I don't I'll, think that's... I think that's fair. I'll tell you why. A couple of reasons. Number one, Stanford's going to want it. Okay? Number two, and I think this is the big one. We saw earlier the California Board of Regions took UCLA to task earlier this week about their move to the Big Ten. And they're, the Board of Regions is trying to kind of they're trying to flex their political muscle a little bit here and pump the brakes. But there were some rumors coming out that the Big Ten might be willing to invite at some point, not when, we don't know. Right. But I think it was Dodd who put this out there, Dennis Dodd from CBS. Uh, Oregon, Washington, Cal, and Stanford. Now if, they, now, if the Big Ten decides to bite the bullet and invite Cal, what that is is to, is to satisfy yeah, I the can see that. University of California's board of regents and take the heat off and take the political heat off ucla yeah that's possible i don't i you with with politicians you can't take any you can't take anything out of the equation i think that's that's in play the point is this is all not good for the pac-12 and the other thing too in the contract that i thought was interesting it is actually they can escalate it and also add other partners and one scenario that was thrown out there by some of the media is let's say they add bunch of Pac-12 teams and they escalate. uh, When you say partners, do you mean media partners? Yes. Like there's a scenario they could in theory, let's say they add Oregon, Washington, Stanford, Cal for argument's sake in the next few years. Well, they're going to escalate that. Where where are you going to carry all those West Coast games? What if ESPN says, hey, we'll pay to carry those Big Ten late night games. They could be included. There's a loophole in there. I'm using as an example where they might do that and add more money that way and add another partner. Uh, you know, that's an interesting uh, loophole that I don't think people expect it. Like, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but don't be shocked if ESPN eventually strikes a deal with the Big Ten here on the side to carry those 1030 mean, West Coast games. Big Ten after dark? Yeah, yeah. You know, because – and there's been some uh, – Mark Daniels, obviously, the, the host of 90, the, the Beat of Sports, he's had some of the former Fox executives who negotiated these deals. He They believe, contrary to some of the media talk, that the ESPN and Fox are not necess- – this is not an ESPN-Fox exclusive battle. That part of this is that the Big Ten doesn't trust ESPN because they think they're biased towards the SEC and all that. They, they believe that ESPN and Fox will actually eventually work together – to create their super playoff. And I think, so I, it, it's going to be interesting how that plays out. Now, how this affects you. I wonder what CBS and NBC are going to have to say about that. And that's a good segue. Now we go to the big 12. I think obviously if you're the big 12, if the PAC 12 disintegrates uh, or, you know, just dies, that's going to help the big 12, especially you might add an Arizona, Arizona state. I mean, those teams could be added. Colorado, think, Utah. Yeah. I think the quick, Yes. I think the question is, if you're the Big 12, can you get CBS or an NBC to bid with Fox and ESPN and try to drive up the, the price? 
I don't know. I'm not sold that CBS or NBC are really going to be interested in the Big 12. I think they're pretty happy with what they have. But you want to draw more people in the table so you can get yourself a better deal. If I had to predict, I think Fox will have, I think the Big 12 will have a similar deal with what they have now with Fox and ESPN uh, with a lot of noon slots. So the good news for UCF, I think, is they're going to make a lot of money once they join the Big 12. The bad news is don't be shocked if you get a lot of noon 330 kicks in your future in the Big 12. Is that is that do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing for UCF? Depends on your fan base. I mean, I I don't I love noon games. All right. I want to get in, get out. Uh, but fans don't like that across the board. It's not just a UCF thing. I think more and more people want to play I, at night than at 12 I, in the sun. I, 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 I've gotten, you know, this would be an interesting thing for a poll. Uh, I would, I tend to like the earlier starts because, you know, like you said, you get home, there's still plenty of the day to happen. Sure. But then also it gives UCF a competitive advantage because, you know, Eric, you're a Dolphins fan. What was the thing about the Dolphins all the time? Right, they play in the heat. Go down heat to Miami, you play right, in right, the right. one o'clock heat in South Florida when you're coming from New York or or New England or wherever, and you're at a disadvantage because you're playing in hot weather. And Even Tom Brady statistically has had the most trouble in those games. Right. Oh, sure, right. sure, sure, sure. So, but, you know, yeah, you know, now not to say that you know it's any hotter in Texas at noon on a Saturday in the fall, but. It stays hotter down here a little bit longer. Correct. The issue is recruiting. It's easier to recruit in a night game, the atmosphere. The crowds aren't as flat, quote-unquote, in college, especially here in Florida. Yeah, I mean, get, It's not like UCF is going to get completely frozen out of prime time. I could see it. No, no, they, I don't think so either. They try and put it, every team on, in a prime yeah. time slot at least once. Right. I'm just saying you might have more noon and 3.30 games than you have recently under the, the deal there. So that because I think you look at ESPN, ABC, they're going to have to fill some of those noon slots uh, and by losing the Big Ten. And I think the Big 12 is a good candidate for that, as well as other leagues. Uh, but look, I think for the Big 12, I think they're in a stronger footing than the Pac-12 uh, because I think that the Big Ten is going to raid the Pac-12. And to some there's, extent, and there's no way that that like, I mean, some some Pac-12 people are trying to throw around the idea that, you know, you can, you know, Oregon and Washington can sign a deal where they make more money, like get a larger share. Than they, I just don't that, see that, that never happening. works. Yeah, that never works. And, he, and even, by the way, even if they even if they did, there's no way that they're going to sign a grant of rights. That's the issue. That's the big issue. You're you not. Get, why would you be dumb to commit to any of that? And honestly, right. look, I'll be fair. Even if I'm Oregon, well, I wouldn't even sign anything long term. Even if I decided, you know what, I'm going to go to the Big Twelve. I wouldn't do that either. So I'm being. I'm not trying to pick on the Pac-12. It's just business. <laughs> like you know that the Big Ten is going to add more West Coast teams. You're not just going to stay with two. You don't know when. That's the kind of the tricky part. But it's probably going to happen in this window, this TV deal. So uh, that's where we're at. So hopefully it works out. From UCF standpoint, yeah. uh, with the Big Twelve negotiations on that, which don't start until twenty twenty four. Last point, Bryson, go ahead. Um, well, first of all, um, I love how the Big Ten's trying to imitate the NFL so much that its championship game is its Super Bowl, and they're rotating it between networks. I think that's kind of hilarious. Yeah, um, I think you're going to see more and more of that coming uh, moving forward, especially with, when they expand the playoff. But yeah. I will say that and when one, the SEC decides to take a knife to the ACC eventually, but anyway, yeah, go ahead. yeah, yeah. I will say that one thing that we – because the last time we talked about this, we mentioned what the fate of the Olympic sports would be, and I was thinking, oh, you know, they'll just go on Peacock like how they're on ESPN Plus now. Nope. As, from what I'm seeing in this release, 
all of the Olympic sport competition is going to the Big Ten network. Correct. Oh, no. That's always been the Big Ten. They never take care of the Olympic sports in that regard, like the SEC does, in fairness. The SEC's done a good job of well, that. Uh, well, let me ask you, though, Eric, about that, because you're not going to see every softball game in the Big Ten on the Big Ten network because teams play coincidental to one another. Correct. So what's going to happen? Are you going to have like They're a gonna series They're going to stay on BTN Plus. They're going to stay on BTN Plus like they have currently with student broadcast. Which is, on, which is online. Yeah. All online. That's probably what they're going to do, and they're not going to be now, on the mouse. Now, listen, the thing is with that is they're making a lot of money. Oh, so yeah. you think that they're going to obviously try and invest as much as they can into that? I think volleyball they'll invest because volleyball is their third most popular viewership sport in the Big Ten. Uh, I just don't think they're going to do that in baseball and softball. The weather doesn't – unless, unless, and you brought this up when we were doing the group chat. Yeah, this is the other thing. If baseball and softball seasons get pushed back, which I think, especially in baseball, could happen once these uh, the NCAA championship media rights are up after 2024, don't be surprised if college baseball around that time gets pushed. So, because I think I've heard ESPN like a summer sport because ESPN from what I, they want the College World Series on that July Fourth weekend. That's the word on the street from television. Uh, and, and I'm talking about the Mets. I forget. Uh, third week of June, maybe second or third week. Yeah, you think that, that's not really that much of a pushback, is it? No, but a couple weeks a can weeks. make a difference. A couple weeks can make a difference. You go from starting late February to starting March in college baseball. That makes a difference. I mean, they pushed the back the Super Bowl one week now, and it's on my wedding anniversary week. That's a real problem, Jeff. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you're talking to a guy who got married over who got married like in the middle of football season, October 29th. Hashtag you. Problem. So, yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, we still have a lot of other. What's the next shoe to drop, Eric? Well, now that we know the Big Ten deal is the what happens here with the Pac-12. When does the Big Ten decide to pull the trigger? I Pac, think they're going to. Pac 12 media deal negotiation window is open right now. Is right that now. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. So there's pressure there. And then, you know, does Notre Dame want to join the Big Ten? Do they stay independent? Do they try? You know, who knows with Notre Dame? So I wouldn't. Ex- I, we might hear something within the next year. All right. All right. Well, just enjoy the year. games on the field in the meantime. I know. Well, we got the good thing is we got football coming around, and and you know we haven't seen any uh, outsized news. But uh, hey, Kyle, whatever, I thought you promised us a that, starting quarterback, Kyle. Whatever, you promised us one. Come on. Hey, I promised you fourth place in the American. Okay. <laughs> whatever breaks, you can follow us for it. UCF Banner at underscore SBN. And guys, listen, we had our handle change, and it was beyond my control. We had to start the Twitter account all over again. So I remember, what was it? When that happened, we had something over 2,000 followers. Now we have 700 on this new account, and I want to try to get us to 1,000 before before football season. So if you don't already, follow us on Twitter, UCF Banneret underscore SBN. Double check if you do or you don't, because if you followed us on the old handle, you may not be following us on the new handle. Trying to get to 1,000, so let us know. Uh, we will be following also uh, Soccer Plays LSU next up in Baton Rouge. So make sure you follow us for that. Uh, you can also follow us individually. Jeff underscore Sharon. It's Bryson Turner. Eric Lopez Elo. The SOTG for the student of the game, who is Kyle Nash. And you can also follow uh, also the Noah Goldberg, who was killing it with the photos today from the women's soccer opener. Wow. To do. Underscore DS Warden for more photos. Of course, Stat Boy Drew for all your latest on UCF football. 
we could have some transfer portal news coming up in the next couple days, boys. Mm-hmm. That we might have to keep an eye on. So. Is that why Drew's not here? Uh, yeah, he got lost in the portal. Oh shoot! And uh, we have to send and we have to send Tony Stark in there to find crap. Him. Can somebody um, get Brian Murphy's number? We yeah. can out for alcohol now at the <laughs> stadiums. <laughs> You can follow us on Facebook, too, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret, and, of course, at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Our UCF women's soccer preview is already up next week. We're doing our UCF men's soccer preview uh, as well. <clears throat> Make sure you, By the way, Bryson has been helping me out huge with these previews. We are, we are doing the fullest Olympic sports previews you have ever seen on our site. Good enough to last you the entire year. If you want to sound like you know what you're talking about, about UCF soccer, UCF volleyball, and later on, UCF basketball, UCF baseball, UCF softball. You better subscribe to. You better subscribe. Uh, you better hop on our site, subscribe to us. Do whatever it is that you need to do in order to follow our everything you need to know series about our UCF uh, Olympic sports. We've got men's soccer coming up next week, and of course volleyball the week after that. That will do it for us here on the Black and Gold Banner podcast. Uh, if you uh, subscribe to us, we thank you. Please make sure you leave us a rating. Oh, also, don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, if you do not subscribe to us, please do so as soon as humanly possible. We are on Apple and Android devices, wherever you, wherever fine podcasts are given away for free. So, for Kyle Nash, Bryson Turner, and Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Enjoy your weekend. We will see you next week.